Hello, and welcome to the 12th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. Oof, it's Patrick. Oof. Oh boy, he's coming in hot. Welcome <laughs> to the Academy. <laughs> wow, wow. So Patrick, we're, let's just jump into it, man. We are into the Elite Eight here. Oh yeah, this we're in second, it. Second matchup in the Elite Eight. All of these are, you know, not to use a word from one of today's films, definitely oh, yeah. matchups. And, you know, I was sitting here, I watched both Devil Wears Prada and Death Becomes Her as a double feature last night. I watched Mamma Mia this morning for mm. next week's episode. So I, I am in the Merrill headspace. Oh yeah, yeah. That way. Yeah, you're in like a, you're just in a, a, a hurricane of, you're in the eye of the storm and the storm Indeed. is streep. And it's like, but you're in that place where like, you're in the eye of the storm where like, uh, like I've, I'm from Houston. So I remember when Hurricane Ike came through, the eye of the storm went over our house at one point and everything's just like calm <gasps> and clear and there's chaos around you and the sky just like changes. The sky has like weird colors too. And yeah. you're like, you're like outside of your house there's little streeps flying all around you like witches. The <laughs> sky is green and you're at peace. That's where you're Listen, at right now. Meryl Streep <laughs> is the film Twister and I'm damn Bill Paxton right now. Yes. Like, we'll put it that way. And instead of, uh, instead of a cow, there's like Stanley Tucci. Yeah, he's <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking that, you know, uh, we want to get quick to our great guest here, but I was thinking that this might be something that we could talk about as the podcast goes on. But mm-hmm. we've been... For the last, you know, last few weeks as we go in, we've been playing all these games at the end, all of these what ifs with Meryl Streep and that kind of thing. And all of our kind of like desire to see her like work with David Cronenberg or the Safdie brothers or yeah. get weird with it or like, like I want, where's, I her, see... where's her Joker? You know, yeah, where's her questions. Lars von Trier movie? Oh, how yeah. I want to see Meryl Streep with Lars von Trier. Yeah, oh we've been doing all of these fantasy <laughs> scenarios and watching these three so closely together. I don't, I think we're like placing a lot of our own taste and yeah. making a lot of assumptions on Meryl Streep. And I don't feel good about that after after watching these three movies because she is her own auteur. And obviously I think what we've talked about as we've gone on is that there is this level, it's unstoppable and it sucks, this level of misogyny in Hollywood and this kind of like, of course, like Raging Bull isn't being written for Meryl Streep, why hasn't she gotten a Raging Bull or something like that? But I also don't think she wants to be in a Raging Bull. Like yeah. I think, like especially post Devil Wears Prada, where she's had a real chance to like really become like an above the title like money making star. Yeah, you know, not that she wasn't before that, but I think she's really since then. Oh, that kinda... like well, I think that like solidified her yeah. like, legend status. Like, yeah, she's like in that like. That, that rarefied air with like the Humphrey, like that level of stardom. Yeah, like, yeah. like a real true like legend, like yeah, you know, she puts uh, she puts butts in seats if, oh, if, yeah. when, if, if and when movie theaters ever return. Um, she puts butts in streams. Oh, sure, butts, butts in streams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but regardless, like I think that she is picking every kind of movie she wants to be in. I don't think she necessarily like our kind of masculine ideal of like what's a great part is like seems to be like this like tortured sad guy who either commits a crime or (laughs) something like that or or murders or just ends up in jail or whatever and i don't think that's what she's after i don't after reading that book her again i don't think that's what she's like i think Mm -hmm. she's like she's a very like 
confident person who knows what she wants completely. And she's had a very strong vision for what she wants to do. Obviously, I think earlier in his career, she ran into a lot of speed bumps with, you know, monstrous executives and directors and producers who didn't want to give her those things or like support her in those things. But so I don't think like, basically, I'm just saying is like, you do you, Meryl. Our Cronenberg dreams are just that because we like Cronenberg. Yes. So like, <laughs> I think we just kind of, I, I, I think I kind of over pushed in kind of the direction that I would like to see. And I think that she has been perfectly and awesomely successful for almost 50 years doing her thing. Oh yeah. And like, so yeah, yeah. no, totally. And you know, like the thing too, is she has been getting like, you know, I think sometimes we like lament about how she's not getting more complex or so, but like we look at Let Them All Talk, even like the yeah. two movies here are like, you know, they're not like the most complex, but I think, well, Devil Wears Prada, there's like layers to that performance, I think. And I think there's layers to it. I, I probably didn't even see the first time I watched this film. Uh, and so, you know, I'm just glad she's doing, she makes great art. Like, you know, whether or not she's like, you know, going through some horrid uh, moment of body horror in a Cronenberg film or not like you know you know that, that just she doesn't have to yeah like she she can do yeah do whatever you want yeah. she's she's doing awesome she does not need yeah. David Cronenberg yeah she doesn't yeah she maybe need... it's just our desire for a new David Cronenberg movie I don't know <laughs> that's true but, yeah you know let's get it let's get into it here let's get into it we can bring this we bring our guests in on this conversation if they even want to be a part of this conversation or we can just... <laughs> I would love to be a part of this conversation awesome awesome so our guest today is a wonderful writer and a former improv teammate of mine too um she hosts the uh, she's one of the hosts of the podcast american ritual thanksgiving and she's a writer on the upcoming series simply holston and if for all you devil wears prada heads holston is name checked in this movie. Uh, our guest this week, Christina Wu, welcome to the Academy. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Oh, thank you. I, thank you for sitting through our kind of like existential moment of um, yeah. well, it was uh, hard for me thinking street. It was hard because I kind of, I mean, this is my own read of Meryl because I just love her and I really respect her, but I get the sense that she's the type of person who has um like I feel like part of her calculus in picking projects is like is is life too short like is life too short to deal with a Lars von Trier I, <laughs> yeah. I think yes yeah I like think so too. everyone knows what he puts his actresses through like I think she's just like I'm I'm good like I don't need yeah. that you know yeah I don't need to get dogville I'm good we can, yeah, we, we, we can drive past dogville yeah no <laughs> save that for someone else I'm gonna stay here on the farm with Gummer and, yeah. look at, and she you has know. nothing to prove. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, no way. I'm with you. That's it. I, I think that, yeah, I think that that might be the overall thesis for our show is Meryl Streep has nothing to prove. Nothing um, to prove and she's too good for all of us. We don't deserve her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. She is like 100, she's 100% like, yeah, another level, another level. But if she does feel like it, you know, we'd love to have her on the show. For oh. a chat. So if she didn't want to come down to our level, you know, the invite is on the table. <laughs> oh, totally. And I will, yeah, we will clean our level. Uh, I won't, I will make the promise that my parents tried to make. I won't swear. I'll, <laughs> I'll respect the gummers. I won't make any gummer jokes. We'll, Only... we'll, to- we'll tone down the bits just tone in down. general. We'll keep, I was we'll keep say, it. Oh, yeah. As, a, as <laughs> I've, I've listened to other episodes of the podcast, I myself have borne witness to a gummer. I have seen a Gummer IRL, oh. and they oh. are quite big. Where did you really? see it? Uh, 
Uh, I saw it at Mass MoCA, which is in North Adams, uh, Massachusetts. It's this um, modern art museum. I was there for a Wilco concert. No big deal. Nice. Um, nice. They have a like music festival there every other year. Uh. But yes, they have a big gummer sort of. Um, it's in. It's it's outside the museum, but it's still like a part of the property. Um, it was hey. impressive. That is cool. I, I am, uh, I'm envious. Uh, and, you know, on that note, too, just an update. Zero donations thus far <laughs> for us to buy a gummer. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is, it is COVID. Everyone needs to hang on to their That's money. That's true. I got some mail from a listener, and it said donations on it, and I opened it, and just a couple damn moths flew out. Jeez. <laughs> opened the Jeez. envelope, just a couple damn moths flew out. Man, our listeners—they are—they are funny. They're funny tricksters. Funny yeah. yeah, respect the moths were alive. They kept like the, there were little bits of like sugar and cloth in there for them to feed on. Like they did a wow. good job of like it probably spent more money on you know because you had to buy those moths. Probably moths probably don't come cheap. What kind of uh, what kind of postage are we talking about for how they sent it? <laughs> oh, uh, just a big old stamp of the Statue oh. of Liberty. Just a big Regular old stamp. Got a love big it. regular. Got- God bless. Yeah. The original. The, you see, that's a character I'd like Meryl Streep to play. Oh, the Statue, the Statue of Liberty. Liberty. Yeah, there you be go. Like a Pixar oh, movie. my like, like, God. It could be a Pixar movie. Like, what does the Statue of Liberty do when everyone's asleep? I would watch like, that. It's like a Toy Story. If it's a Pixar movie, like, the Statue of Liberty's parents get divorced. <laughs> oh, <God>. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're split up. Her, one, yeah. of the, one of the statue parents is still in Paris. She's alone oh. in America. Yeah. She has to make it as a young statue in a, in a strange new land. It just turns into Brooklyn. It just yeah. turns Oh my into- God. <laughs> yeah. I wish. We all wish. Mary's a giant Italian statue. And they're all just trying to do their best. You know, they're yeah. all just good people just trying <laughs> their hardest. We're helping Not an extraordinary amount of drama in the movie at all. Just, yeah. it's just decent people trying to do decent things. Oh, yeah. Uh, feeding, indeed. you know, the older statues, gravel in the, 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 the gravel kitchen. Learning about Italian food. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, she becomes the Statue of Liberty's real dream is to become a chef. Oh. Uh, there we go. And then we bring it back to Ratatouille. Yeah. Oh, or man, Julia, Julia. Actually, Julia and Julia. What Julia I say? and Julia. Yeah. There we go. There that's, we go. A, that's, that's a little bit closer to home for this podcast, Patrick. That's true. Uh, so not- uh, let, we should just get into it here. Christina, as, as, as you know, you, you told us beforehand you were actually a listener of mm-hmm. our show on a handful of occasions yes um very kind of you very kind yes <laughs> I'm nothing if not prepared i i uh but uh let's just get into it what's your streep story like where did you start off with meryl streep what was the first movies that you kind of like may have flashed on to or even seen when it comes to her i feel like i there was no point in my life where i didn't know who she was like, I feel like by the time I became, I like was very much into like absorbing pop culture and watching movies and like reading magazines and like just being immersed in like what was going on in the culture. So I feel like I always knew who she was. And I always like, I still have not seen Silkward or Sophie's Choice, but like, I understand like those terms as like a verb, you know what I mean? Like Silkward shower, like what it's like to make a Sophie's Choice. So like, I feel like I was so much more aware of her before I, I even seen her in anything. And when I went onto her IMDb, I was like kind of bummed that I think my first time I actually saw her in a movie was Music of the Heart, which 
makes a lot of sense for my like family background. I played the violin. My sister did too. My mom, my dad loves classical music. And so like that, that obviously would be, she plays a, a violin teacher in like the Bronx or something or like Harlem. And so that to me was like a very natural, like woo family, like weekend movie outing that made sense. Um, and it's like, I, I rewatched the trailer just to like remind myself what the movie was. And I was like, oh yeah, this is like a really soft, like sort of very gentle, feel good movie. But I was crying in the trailer, <laughs> but I'm a cry. Um, but then beyond music of the heart, I will say one of the two dates that I went on in high school, one of them was to see adaptation. Uh, it's not a good date movie. I'll tell you no. that. <laughs> or at least not for like 16 year olds. You know, we were trying mm -hmm. to like be like cool and tough. Um, but then I was going through her more of her credits and like, I remember seeing Manhattan like early in sort of like when I, when it became clear to me that I like was going to go to film school, but I don't even, I don't remember who she played in that. Like when I think of Meryl, I think of Devil Wears Prada, which I've seen I've, I, I think I've seen it dozens of times, if not like low, low three digits, maybe. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> it's just one of those movies, like if it's on, like I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously like Mamma Mia, it's complicated. And now like her, she had a small role in Little Women, but like mm -hmm. incredible. Oh, so yeah. I feel like I'm just, I'm more familiar with her newer work. Although I have gone back and seen like Heartburn, which is just incredible. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, it's, it's, I think it's Nora Ephron's first movie that she wrote. Yeah. And it's based on her book about her, basically how her ma ma marriage fell apart to Carl Bernstein. With, um, yeah, Bernstein, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm, my street story is uh, not as maybe in depth as I would want it to me, but I, it's certainly filled with a lot of respect. We, we've, we've noticed that with a lot of our guests and I think even, Patrick and I, when we first started this off, there's like these like kind of like peak movies, like Devil Wears Prada would obviously be one of them. Like, like it seems like everyone has seen that ever or adaptation, everyone's seen that. Oh, everyone yeah. it up. But there are so many that like the kind of the movies that like created the foundation of what led to her having right. all those like bigger ones, like on the second half of her career, let's say. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's just because of the age range of our guests. I think so. I mean, I was a child when a lot of her like very serious movies were either coming out or had already been out. So like eight-year-old me is not super interested in like out of Africa. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 38-year-old <laughs> me was barely interested in out of Africa. I would say like current me, I don't, e I don't even know if I can deal with like the colonialism of it all, but yeah, it's like if never you say like... never, I guess. <laughs> Robert Redford's charming, but when his first appearance is him carry, hauling around a huge elephant tusk, you're already like, ooh, I don't know. I <laughs> mean, with that face, you can get away with a lot. Yeah. I really, but, I guess like, it's like, it's like, if you're willing, like, it's sort of like, if you, how much do you like foppish Swedes? <laughs> like, that's kind of like, that's my right, question I would right. ask you, because like that, like the third, like, like that performance is a lot of fun, I would say. That one, uh, and I cannot remember that. Uh, I think he's like an Austrian it's actor. Klaus Maria Bandelor, I believe yeah. is his name. Her <laughs> husband who gives her syphilis. Yeah, like it's just a huge, just a troll. Just a troll, yeah. just yeah. not a, yeah. just foppish. Yeah. Like, yeah, 
but it's like that's such a great yeah but that, i think it's like uh, that was kind of like my like lifeboat in that movie was like whenever that guy it's like oh i know i'm gonna have fun because this dude has like this fun like weird he's like christoph waltz too where you like you know he's like a bad <laughs> that person. quality yeah. yeah it's like you know he's a bad person he's but, he's so a bad charming, but he's fun yeah. it's like a fun charming evil guy he's like pete campbell he's a pete campbell oh yeah a little that's bit. my touchstone yeah. for that yeah. yeah but yeah i think like i think i i yeah it's it, it, there definitely is, and we'll get into it with when we get to Devil Wars Prada here shortly. But it does seem to be like, obviously, she had this amazing, like, two-time Academy Award-winning, massive career before Devil Wars Prada. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like that movie, at least for our generation and the people, probably I'm probably at the oldest end of the people who kind of like saw this mm-hmm. as kind of like a reinter, an introduction to her being a pop, like a major pop cultural figure. Yeah. To the next generation of right. people going to movies or watching TV. Right. Watching TV. I think it's also uh, it came out in a time where it's like pre-streaming, right? So I think the yeah. reason why I've seen it so many times is because I've been like hung over on a Sunday, and you turn on TBS, and it's like absolutely I'm going to watch Devil Wears Prada like for the billionth time. Oh, it, to me, it's almost like the platonic ideal of a of an airplane film. Yeah, like this <laughs> is like the perfect movie. If I'm like you know, the cabin pressure is weird. You know, I'm going to Salt Lake City or some bullshit. I don't know what, like, I don't know what reason I'd have to go to Salt Lake City, but like, trying to think of like a, yeah, yeah, podcast for my big, yeah, my big pocket. You know, it's the only state that will have uh, live shows. And so we're just going to go there and we're going to go there in a couple months. Probably get COVID and die. Mormons love this podcast. (laughs) Mormons are freaks for the street. Uh, But, uh, they're street freaks. Uh, But, uh, have we done freak on the street? I don't think we've, we've not, used that pun yet. That, that's oh, we one. have not. We, we oh, feeling, yeah. feeling like a feeling like a, a, a streep on a leash. Oh, feeling you like did, on I was going to say streep on a leash. That that jumps out too. Yeah. You did it on Twitter, actually, Patrick. I think you did a corn parody. Oh yeah, on Twitter already. I did. Yeah, yeah. feeling like I have no release. Yeah, I'd probably, yeah. I probably. I'll, 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 I'll look up. I'll look that up later. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I'll Folks, sing that at the end. Gar- of that. Guaranteed banger. It's hilarious. Oh man. We'll just yeah. put it there ahead of time. Hey, you know what? Uh, here's my controversial opinion. Some new metal's actually good. Oh, no. Wrong podcast. <laughs> so, wrong wow, this podcast. is a totally different podcast Some new that I have actually good. to contribute You to. heard it here. I'm just gonna drop, I just want to drop that bomb and let you guys uh, stew in it. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Wait, talk about a red herring. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's a new yeah. metal podcast. Nah, but... but, uh, but uh, one thing I wanted to say, though, about Devil Wears Prada, to me, this, like, yes, airplane movie is, like, hungover Saturday morning movie. Oh, yeah. This is a Hollywood video Hall of Famer, if you ask me. Ooh. Like, <laughs> an entire rack of DVD copies of The Devil Wears Prada, and you're sitting there like, well, we saw in the theater. Oh, we'll rent it again. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, because the comfort food level of being at a Hollywood video and not being sure what to rent. It's like, oh, yeah. Eh, yeah, that's a comfort one. Oh, like, everyone will agree on it. And like, yeah. uh, and then- yeah. Yeah, or like it's like the movie that like when you're at Costco and there's like that huge. I was like, just gonna say yeah. that. Yeah. I oh god, there are so many movies I've seen a million times just because we like got it at Costco because mm-hmm. it was like five dollars. Oh like, yeah. Oh bargain like, bin. It's the hardcore. Like you're at Walmart. There's like that yeah. bargain bin, and you get yeah. just. It's like on DVD. There's like three. It's like it'd be like Devil Wears Prada, Julia and Julia, and then like the Bounty Hunter. Like there's one that like fuck that sucks, <laughs> yeah. and it's like you just have to suck it up. What's the one with uh, Ashton Kutcher? Oh, sorry. What was that, Christina? No, I was just going to say, like, you know how whenever you go into an Airbnb, there's always, like, 
two DVDs and it's always like a like family favorite and then one like super left field movie. I feel like Devil Wears Prada. Like I've seen it in like multiple B&B, Airbnbs. The oh, yeah. last Airbnb we were at, the left field one was the original Magnificent Seven. Oh, wow. And we, we immediately threw that on. We were like, oh, That's we got to watch this. Yeah, it was yeah. great. So like, yeah. I, I think that like this generation, like the, the streaming generations really is missing out on the like, oh, we have six movies. Yeah. And these are our only options. So I guess we have to watch this again. And like, oh, yeah. I, it might be like that they're just doing that with like The Office or 30 Rock or whatever. Probably. Rather than yeah. movies. But like, I, my dad has probably watched because it was the video he had for these three years, <laughs> Wall Street, like 70,000 times <laughs> to the point that my brother and I had Wall Street memorized when we were like wow. 10 and six years old and did not know about any of it. But we also I would knew say that's like, a lot of trauma that you guys have experienced very early on. I worry for you. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, no, I feel like I'm like the last, my, I'm like the last of the generation because like I remember like there were DVDs that I had and I watched them just because I had them. And it was like pre, like pre my knowledge of Rotten Tomatoes and like criticism and stuff like that. And so like, I've seen the perfect score probably 30 times <laughs> and I've seen you mean Dupree probably like a hundred yeah. times. Yay. For some <laughs> I you mean Dupree is the late Hollywood video classic too. Oh That's- yeah. Oh yeah. I feel I'm I'm now sort of feeling bad for you guys. My dad, I I think my love of movies comes from my dad and he oh. he's a computer engineer and so he knew he knows a lot about technology. Like we had Betamax, not VHS in my home. Oh, that's so nice. Um, and we also that's had cool. laser discs. So <laughs> yeah. like I like I've seen like Star Wars on like laser disc uh like a million times and like, you know, Back to the Future and Indiana Jones. Also, I mean I'm going to bring up ABBA again. Like I've seen, my dad has laser discs of, of ABBA music videos. Oh, cool. I can't tell you how good <laughs> you need. You need to just Google, uh, Google some of their music videos. They are incredible. And like, not ironically, like I love, I love ABBA. So to like grow up in that environment, I feel like I had a good mix of like foundational stuff. And then when the Costco DVD like era came in, it's like, and then we saw like, you know, Austin Powers a million mm-hmm. times. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah. like it was like my um my dad loved to like go to sleep to movies. <laughs> so, and like we had this VCR that would just um rewind them and start oh. them over again. Nice. And he'd go on these runs, so like Wall Street is like the classic of these, but um, God, that really scares me for you guys. Was I, I mean, we spent an inordinate amount of time listening to Talking Heads, This Must Be the Place, looking out our windows pensively, Aww. wondering about how our lives were going. Much okay. like, so much yeah, like you, like, you like self-soothed, you, <laughs> yeah. you self-corrected. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, but he would watch like, like my cousin Vinny, was a oh, huge, Ooh, huge Ken Saunderson favorite. Um, he loves, uh, I mean, this movie, Jen and I have actually watched a couple times in quarantine, Tombstone, which totally slaps. Ooh, Tombstone. <laughs> I have not seen Tombstone. It rules. That, yeah. that, that yeah. is a dad movie, if I've Oh, 100%. Hardcore. I think my dad, like, my dad lived in dad movies. Like, my entire love, <laughs> my entire love of Clint Eastwood is the first movie I remember is Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I was going to say, And yeah, us watching that's that like, together. That's, like, strong dad culture right there. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I'm all set. Like, we had this uh, running thing over Christmas. So, Christina, I, this is a 
I don't know if you've heard, like, my wife and I are having a baby. Oh, my God! Congratulations! Yeah. Thank you. Oh thank God, you. incredible. Oh, I'm so happy for you guys. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're super excited, but we did have multiple family and multiple kind of crowdsourced conversation on when is it too early to show your kid Die Hard? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, I just rewatched it this past Christmas, and... I, f- I, I don't know, maybe like tween, like mm-hmm. yeah. once they themselves have started cursing. Yeah. May- but like the violence is kind of intense in that movie. It's pretty, it's pretty violent. I, my, I saw it around um, nine or 10. Mm. Too young. But, my, but that meant my brother saw it at six. <laughs> 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 because if one of us saw it, both of us saw it. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it, but it changed our lives because we were like, sure, we're done with like Disney movies because this is the best thing we've ever seen in our life. Right, that was your that was your like cinematic coming of age. You, yeah, it was stuff like that. Yeah, my dad did not have a huge filter. Obviously, us knowing Wall Street <laughs> quite well before yeah. we were teenagers, <laughs> but yeah. we're so thankful for it because both of us are like movie obsessives. Yeah. I think th- doesn't that also speak to like like the concept of like the helicopter parent Mm. is probably like that term has come about in the last what 10 years like I like I feel like I listen to a lot of podcasts by people by hosted by people who are older than us and they talk a lot about how like if you were a kid in the 70s you just like you just went out and played and like (laughs) once the sun went down you knew to come home for dinner and like end of list with regard to like parental involvement yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's it's totally true i mean like it it just seems like our case like not even having the kid here yet but like my mom was like oh because i was telling her you know we've had i don't know close to 10 ultrasounds oh my god okay my mom so you guys so jen's really far along then uh yeah she's doing april oh oh my gosh okay so uh we've had bunch of them and my mom's like yeah I don't think I had one on either of you because <laughs> you know? it's the early to mid 80s like you're right. a totally different story and so it's right. like it's already 1000 percent different I mean right. my mom was like oh we'll find um I think I still have your crib and I'm like oh that's lovely and nostalgic we're gonna buy the um ultra modern the safest non-flammable non-toxic yeah like, yeah basically is its own black box yeah i mean have we investigated every pan we own yes like and that didn't even happen when i was a kid wait to your point though are you and jen thinking about um like in utero what the baby is like listening to like music wise movie wise like that's something um, that i i bought a sound bar for better sound in our house and i've been purposely playing like more music like I listen to music all the time but it's generally over headphones I've right. been like purposely taking off the headphones and like putting on stuff all throughout the house and for like a huge variety mm-hmm. so that's stuff. like the, that's, that's interesting great. yeah you get to like you're the tastemaker man because I think about like the stuff that like my dad li- like I love John Denver because my dad played it and it's yeah. like, I'm never gonna not like I mean, like, all dads love John Denver, too. I mean, I remember, like, my true. dad talking about John Denver. I was just like, all right, I guess this is just, like, a real dad vibe. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is true. I guess, like, maybe I'm a dad in training. 
Hey, we all are. That's true. We're, we're, we're all just dads. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. ever everyone is a dad at heart. <laughs> it's that it's that it's that meme with the astronaut shooting the other astronaut, and it's just the earth is just a dad. <laughs> we're all dads. Toe to tip, we're all dads. Or has it always been dads? Sure has. Oh, I like it. that. That's has it mean. always been dads? Uh listeners, <laughs> you know, I know we've charged you quite a bit with designing t-shirts for us but uh merch smell that i smell the t-shirt idea from patrick there we are all dads let's make it happen the academy academy (laughs) so let's jump into a movie that really has a lot of dad centric stuff in it we're talking about the devil wears prada (laughs) you not want to hear my street by the street story Oh yeah! Oh yeah! yeah give it to us. Oh yeah! I, okay. Yes, please. I've been Sorry. very excited to share this. <laughs> okay. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I. I. It's a surprise. Go for it. Thank you. Um. So, uh, I used to live in New York. Um. And I worked at an entertainment law firm slash sort of like indie film company while I was there, and so. Uh, Meryl Streep's son, Henry Wolf, is a musician mm. and we repped him or like some of the lawyers repped him. And so whenever any of our clients, our music clients would have shows in New York, we would all go and obviously like we'd be able to get it for free. So it was just really fun. So he had a show uh, at Mercury Lounge, which for listeners, if you haven't been to New York, it's on like Houston, Houston and Allen, I think like Lower East Side. Um, and I was really excited to go because he's really cute. And I was like, maybe we'd get to like hang out with him afterwards. It did. It never occurred to me that any of his family members would come to his shows. So we get to Mercury Lounge. We like stake out our spot, and in walks the entire like Streep Gummer family. So Meryl's there. At least one of the daughters was there. I don't remember who. It was the one who was dating the guy who was in Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. Um, oh, I, I think uh, both of them. Benjamin is- Walker? No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. How did I know that? <laughs> very well, nice ball, Um Don Gummer sadly was not there. Perhaps he was just <sighs> holding it down in Connecticut. Um, Sculpting. But yeah. the thing that was so delightful about it is that, like, if you didn't know like if you didn't just look around and just notice that Meryl Streep was just like in like standing room only crowd, like, you know, Mer- Mercury Lounge is small. Like you would have never noticed her. She did not draw any attention to herself. Like she was just like a mom fanning out for her son, like dancing and just like being, just like being a delight. And we all were so freaked out <laughs> that like, I don't even, like, I don't even remember the show. We were just like, Meryl Streep is next to us. Meryl Streep is next to us. Meryl Streep is dancing next to us. It was incredible. She just seemed like such a light and like, honestly, what a cool mom. Awesome. That is so both cool and kind of like, it, it's really beautiful that like the the greatest actor of her generation is also dorkily supporting yes. her children at yes. their like events. Yeah. It which... was extremely heartwarming. And like, I could imagine her kids being like, mom, stop, God, yeah. you're embarrassing us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. What? It, oh, thank you for sharing. Thank you for interrupting. I was very Moving on. Yes. I didn't want us to forget it. <laughs> no, no, it that is really, really cool because uh, our other guest, we've had your second guest who's had up close and personal <gasps> encounters with Streep. Avery from yeah. our um, Mamma Mia. Oh my Hell, God. Oh, Into the Woods. So forgettable. I forgot the damn movie. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she said she saw her. She, she, said, she said it was more of a kind of what you'd expect a floats into the room, mm. like angelic uh-huh. 
like she's on and she knows that all eyes are otherworldly presence and it's nice to see it in kind of a more like truly street on the street Uh, i also have a redford on the street story because i listened to uh you know i've listened to the the out of africa podcast uh seven years ago today i moved to la from new york and i didn't realize that that was golden globes weekend so um laura prepon was on my plane Oh, wow. A former colleague of mine who um, is an agent was on my plane. And then Robert Redford. I like oh, freaking out. He's shorter than you think he would be, but he's also much older. So, you know, perhaps at his height, he was haha, taller. Um, but like the whole flight, I was just like, what if I just like scream saying the way we were at him? Like <laughs> he reacts positively to that. I just like really couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I could not handle being in his presence and it was very overwhelming. Um, and I took it as a good omen in moving to LA. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like I, good- I, I drove to Seattle in a car or from Seattle in a car that didn't have air conditioning and I had no celebrity encounters. So yeah. I think yeah, I think you got the good one. <laughs> yeah, to be to be fair, that would be kind of like, yeah, then then uh, Joe Pesci appeared in my car. I hitchhiked and yeah. yeah. I, got, I got picked up by Tom Sizemore. It was not good. Oh, no. That I, was... I would not get in that car. Don't get in the car. Yeah, don't yet. Size less. Truly. Truly. Like, I mean, I loved you in Heat, dude. It's one of my favorite movies, but I got to yeah. go. I watched, yeah. I, I, I watched I watched Saving Private Ryan relatively recently, and I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about Tom Sizemore. What happened to that guy? And then I looked at oh, it, and I was like, whoa, a lot happened to him. Yeah. Mamma yeah. Mia. <laughs> Mamma Mia, indeed. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mamma Mia. Oh, yeah, Mamma Mia. Yeah, uh, wrong choice, if yep, you know what I'm saying. I, <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, on that note, Devil Wears Prada. I love this movie. Yes. Oh, it's good. Yes, yes, yes. Let's get to the stats. Released in 2006, directed by David Frankel with a screenplay by Aline Broch McKenna, based on the book of the same title by Lauren Weisberger. This movie was budgeted at $35 million in 2006 dollars and made $327.9 million at the box office. That's what we like to call in the biz folks a hit. Uh, And movies like this don't hit like this anymore. Well, it, it wouldn't surprise me if like so much of the budget went to the clothes, obviously. Oh, yeah. And, like, all the locations were really amazing, you know. Or at least if they weren't, like, real locations, they, like, really worked hard to make them look like real locations. So mm-hmm. that doesn't surprise me. And I'm sure Meryl got paid a lot of money to be in this movie. I don't think anybody took a... Uh, yeah, no one was um, No to... one was working at scale. Yeah. Um, I was just going through it. The Wikipedia page is that, as all of our listeners know, I do print out. Um <laughs> 30 Matt Quest 2. Do you print that out yeah. also? Yep. Yeah, the old version too. I don't <laughs> like the upgrade. Um, yeah, the dial into Netscape. Yep. yep. 34 printed pages of facts on the Tumblr's Prada. Oh <laughs> as long as the Wikipedia page on Margaret Thatcher that I printed out oh <laughs> for the. Uh, for the Iron Lady episode. Uh, Devil Wars Prada scored a 75% Rotten Tomatoes rating. Cites cons- critical consensus reads a rare film that surpasses the quality of its source novel, which we've heard before from Meryl Streep mm. uh, movies. Uh, this devil is a witty expose of New York's fashion scene with Meryl Streep in top form and Anne Hathaway 
more than holding her own. Wow. That's nice. I mean, um, I have to say, like, the more I remember just watching the movie the first time and just like liking it, but the more every with every passing viewing and with every year that passes that I have worked in entertainment, the more this movie feels like a documentary. <laughs> I have I was an assistant for a long time and granted not in fashion, but like for anyone who thinks that this movie is exaggerated in any way, it is not. In fact, I think that there are some there are some places where they could have gone further. Like this, oh. th- there is a lot of verisimilitude in this film. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I feel like yeah, certain people are given more le- leeway than perhaps they should in some points. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know, obviously, they're trying to like you know get into it here, trying to kind of do a balancing act between kind of like a light, enjoyable, kind of fun time of a movie, and also kind of showing as you were saying, because you know, some kind of realistic behaviors and this movie at different happen. points in my life have been very triggering for me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Just getting some like horrid <laughs> flashbacks. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like what I noticed in this one is um, kind of I guess the I, I, I had a real like surprising sympathy for Miranda this yeah. time around. Yeah. I've always felt like it was a much more nuanced character than I guess like the parodies or caricatures mm-hmm. would give. But yeah. I, I not like it was it was yeah it was very interesting my kind of reaction to it. It was and I think it was because I kind of felt a distaste for Anne Hathaway's like other life this time around I didn't like her friends mm. I oh, in particular yeah. I in particular did not like entourage oh uh, yeah Adrian. truly not but weirdly they did have chemistry like I don't you know what I mean like I always find that pairing surprising because it doesn't mm. make sense to me but they don't also not make sense I just think that like I, I think like it, it worked like as actors they work together but yeah. it's also just like the movie I feel like the movie is trying to adhere to a a plot that isn't super realistic considering the characters they portray. Like, I feel like it's like, like he's a chef and he even says it in the movie that he's like, he should know better that like, they're both in these high end jobs. He's doing wine reductions all the time. Well, P.S. if he were a good chef, he would not be around a lot at night. He's constantly around at night. Oh yeah. He's waiting up for her. He can't be that great. Oh yeah. yeah, and he's also he's constantly yeah waxing philosophical about the perfect French fry while he holds like the shittiest movies classic French fry. I, I brought it in. to Jen, and I know I don't know if you all agree. He burnt the hell out of that grilled cheese sandwich. He did. Oh yeah, no. Like an eight eight dollars worth of Jarlsberg. That is a good line, but that is a lot of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I just think it's like the obviously like we could get into kind of like what is a proper work day or we could get into like kind of labor practices or whatever. Yeah. But like, it's very clear from her first day working yeah. for Miranda that this job is not going to necessarily be nine to five. Right. In yeah. its hours. And I was talking to like my wife about it. We were like, okay, obviously like this is not a forever thing. Right. Yeah. But like if they, if it's all true, like I have to work here for a year and then I can get the job elsewhere and she might be kind of mean, but like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you want to put up with or not, but like, 
that seems like a conversation her and entourage would have had like day one right yeah he would have been like okay like uh, we're a strong like that's why i don't think that they're a particularly strong couple (laughs) like there's very poor communication between them yeah and do you notice like when she has to stay for the um the ball she calls tracy toms instead of him yeah i was thinking like maybe because it was a surprise yeah that must be the only way well my to your point though my sort of i actually think the movie i don't have i don't i there are not a lot of holes that i can poke in this movie but the one thing that i did notice this time around is that if she was a if she was serious about journalism which she is um she would and this movie is a it's it's say it's not Vogue, but it's Vogue, um, which is a magazine that is noted for its journalism, not just its fashion. You yeah. know, it's not Vanity Fair, but it's not like Star. She even if she does not care about fashion at all, she, I she's not stupid. She would know who Miranda um, is, and she <laughs> yeah. would know the reputation. So for me, obviously from like a story standpoint it's stronger for her to not know anything about the world but as just like a smart person in the world it's hard for me to believe that she like truly had no idea what she was walking into oh yeah Yeah. no that that part's kind of also like the way that like i feel like they make her out to be like like a monster in the beginning i don't know like the movie was like almost like one stroke away from parody in the beginning with how like she's so uncanny even though she like she looks fine. I don't know. She's it's still a movie star. I know. It's like, yeah. look at that chunky heel and her like <laughs> yeah. messy bangs. Like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Uh, they make Why don't you look just like- take off your glasses and take Freddie Prinze to prom? I mean, it was pretty much the same hair that she had in like Princess Diaries. It's like, let's just do that look again. It is pretty much like but she it, does go- post-college. <laughs> this is like Princess Diaries, the later years. That is like yeah. the, yeah, this is like the stealth sequel or threequel, I guess. There was an actual sequel. Uh but, uh, I think one thing about her, her not being like my probably my favorite scene in this movie and like the scene that actually quite I think is really like as just on a very personal level like really like help me mm-hmm. like understand the entire thing is the scene where Stanley Tucci takes her around and kind of explains mm. what they kind of because like I'm not I'm no fashionista I don't really know much about it and Aren't I probably, you Don? who are you wearing uh, who am i wearing like a tattered sweater yeah, um, yeah your, ju- your juicy couture uh yeah, yeah. I, i'm still trying to like get the perfect kurt cobain sweater after living in seattle um <laughs> only 30 years after only 30 that. years later yeah, you're bringing who's, it back again who's kurt cobain um <laughs> but no but i love that part because i think that they they shed some light on something that I probably would have, I definitely would have come at it from the same, like I, I would have known who Miranda was, but I definitely would have come at it from the same exact attitude the Anne Hathaway character would have, like, fuck it, if I do a good job, I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. this isn't yeah. important to me. And when he takes her out and kind of explains it, it does give you this eye on this culture that, like, I personally was not particularly familiar with, probably didn't right. take particularly seriously and he and after he explains it's like oh i totally see that i might not be totally into it but i get where they're coming from and why they think it's such a sacred thing and i thought i really like that scene i really appreciate it well i think about being like a a small boy like reading runway but also just kind of like the art of fashion Right. And like yeah. kind of what it means and what like the like even that part where she goes through like the history of like the color. Yeah. Cerulean. The I mean, I was gonna if we weren't gonna talk about it, I was gonna bring it up. Like that to me is like the most iconic scene in the movie. Um 
but I, I I can't help but like it's that dichotomy that I guess visually makes sense but the idea that just because you're like a serious person and more specifically a serious woman that automatically means that you can't care about your appearance I mm-hmm. mean and like I don't want to bleed into our talk about uh, death becomes her but like it just seems <laughs> to me that like and it's even it's like it's written by a woman it's Eileen Brosh McKenna she did yeah. Crazy Girlfriend right. did she? yeah she did Crazy yeah, Girlfriend she, she, did, yeah, she, yeah. she has a um, really outstanding yeah like, of IMDb credits yeah I, it's it is I don't know again it's like I understand that we need to have the character go on a journey and start at one place and like kind of end up at the opposite end but like the idea that it's like that um fucking sorry can we curse um, yeah, sure. <laughs> that, um i forget what's that stupid band one direction of like like you don't know you're beautiful you know it's like women are supposed to be beautiful but we're not supposed to be conscious of it and when we are then that makes us like vain and vapid and what you know what i mean it's just like I, f- I i did want there to be more room for discussion but again i understand that for the purposes of like an hour and a half movie it's like she needs to start somewhere and well- end up somewhere different Totally. Well, like the one thing I wanted too was like I feel like the way I saw that almost was like that scene where she talks about Cerulean and the influence. That's such a like to me. That's like about power. Yeah. And, like the level of power you have working at this magazine. Like you shape minds in this magazine. And I almost wanted more of that. Like, like that. Uh, Miranda, like Miranda as Emperor Palpatine, or like Miranda as like. <laughs> Like, I want you to, like, or, like, Whiplash, like, we were talking about Whiplash we before talked, this. Yeah. Where, like, mm. I almost, like, wanted them to lean into more of, like, like, there's a, I know, like, it wouldn't be the same movie at all, and it's good that it ends on a happy note, but there is a part of me that wants to see the movie where, like, Anne Hathaway just fully commits to being, like, an evil, like, I'm gonna become the next Miranda. Like, that's like, scene- Miles, t- like Miles Teller at the end right, of Whiplash. Right. Yeah, oh, 100%. Like, this, and, like, and then the scene where they're in the car, like, I love, like, I know we're, like, you know, I'm going way forward into the movie, but the part, there's a part, like, in, when they're in Paris, and Miranda's, like, you know, I see you and me, you're right. willing to do, you don't care about what others think, yeah. and she's, like, nah, I do, and she's, like, but didn't you leave your friend, and that was such a, to me, that right. was, like, the, the Darth Vader, like, your wife is dead, Padme's, <laughs> Padme bunked okay. it, and he's, yeah. like, like, it was, like, that level of, like, uh, and I like, you know, and it's good for the character that she didn't do, but like, uh, it's like, what if she embraced it? That would have been interesting. I mean, that I would know. be, I think it probably would have made less money. Like that, that's oh, like- no way, no way. Yeah, you're, but also yeah. like that, that idea of like, I see so much in you, like that's such a- Oh, it's so dark. That's such a tool that is used to sort of like Stockholm you as an assistant. Because the thing that I really like oh, about this movie is that when you're someone's assistant, your boss and their life and their business is your life it consumes you it is everything you think about whereas you are like but a drop in a vast ocean of that person's life like yeah i i it just it and to to use that sort of like darth vader mind trick like bosses (laughs) have said that to me before whether or not they meant it like um with like malicious intent or not, but it oh, is yeah. such a like fucked up way to get you to like sink their claws into you. Oh, it's because evil. you're especially 
in like a job like fashion or a job in entertainment like it is like your job sort of is part of your identity in a way that maybe like being an accountant isn't you know what I mean yeah so like I don't know yeah I just that that car scene is chilling I love it same here I love it it's like I want more street moments like that where it's just like man this is just like she's so she's 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 so (laughs) it's you know she's a I mean half thinking about death becomes her mama mia Meryl Streep and God bless her for it, can lean into being a little hammy. Exactly. Yes. Which is no great. Ham. This, yeah. is, oh, this I love performance him. I love is him. actually not there. It's new. It's very it's subtle and very restrained. nuanced. Yeah. 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 In a movie that itself is not super, like the movie itself, I would say, is not nearly as subtle as her performance. Like her performance is almost like a step above the film to a certain degree. But I think it works so well also with em- like Emily Blunt. Oh, she's so good. Like I have been an Emily and I have also been a um uh an Andy. And oh. I understand completely in both situations why and how you get to that place. But yeah, I think like the whole point of Miranda too, it's like she's I'm sure behind her back everyone calls her like a like a stone cold bitch because oh, totally. she, like, doesn't ask you how you are. But if she were a man. And yeah. I think and Hathaway even says it's the essential. I think Donald, it's the essential line in the movie. Donald was talking yeah. about like yeah, you were talking about this before the we were even record before you even came onto the feed. Like Donald was brought this up. Uh, yeah, the yeah the entire idea of like, and it, I think that's the difference between this and Whiplash too. Mm-hmm. Frankly, is that mm-hmm. at the end of Whiplash, the guy is not only expected just to join the evil like mm-hmm. mentor. He's celebrated for it. I mean, I've heard, I've seen like athletes and basketball players say, oh, I find um, Whiplash very inspiring. And when I watched it, I was like, I was like sickened by it. Oh no, it's evil. Yeah, it's very evil. Oh my God. I didn't even think of that. I just remember when I saw it, I was like fully PTSD flashbacked into like my time in orchestra, like youth orchestra. Of like someone's fucking up and we're gonna go through every single person and find out who can't play their part. Oh, well, just like I watched that movie in just like a cold sweat. Yeah, speaking of triggering, Jesus. Man. <laughs> yeah, that, that gives me chills and I've never I never was in orchestra. Like oh, yeah, no, totally. it. it's terrifying. But yeah, I mean like it's the difference because in this one, Anne Hath like it would be bad if she followed in Miranda's footsteps, like right. in the kind of morality of this movie world, but in the morality of which Whiplash, if he had quit, then you don't even have an end of the movie. You're not right. satisfied. You're right. only satisfied yeah. when he joins him in like the evil realm of shitty like, band leaders. Don't yeah. you think though that is a space that men are allowed to go to societally and that women aren't? That like, if a man destroys his life for a pursuit, then like it's a noble cause. But if a woman does it, then like all hell breaks loose. She's a she's like gonna go to hell. Like, yeah. Or what about the kids? Stay home. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Well, that, and that's yeah. interesting because that is like the one. That is so funny that that is like the one human humanizing. Not there's multiple humanizing things I guess for Miranda, but like that is like the the crux of her humanization, like the peak of her humanization. The one time you get to see like a shred of like who she is behind the mask is when she's worrying about her like two daughters in the divorce right. and it's yeah. like her second divorce or third divorce like yeah, a, yeah. yeah she's been through multiple and like yeah 
It's a beautiful and, scene. It's oh, one totally. of my favorite scenes in the movie. And, and it's funny, too, that, like, yeah, Whiplash, like, we don't even know if, like, yeah. he has, like, a dad. Doesn't or matter. Or doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't fucking girlfriend. matter. He, but then yeah. he, like, quickly dumped the girlfriend, right? Like, oh, the yeah. Of the movie. Because it would be I can't believe I remember so much about Whiplash. I saw it exactly. would be soft for him to have a family life. Or, like, or sure. JK, does J.K. Simmons have a family life? I doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think they even know. That's, like, the thing. is like, yeah, he's, like, a... He's literally just like a like a, a tool of evil in that movie, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is great. Like he's a great ham in that film, or not ham. He's like a great uh, he's a great baddie in that. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, like... it it is it is very interesting. And you know, I to, I, I want to change a little topic here. But I we were talking a little bit about kind of the the moments of grace and the moments of like subtlety and nuance that are in this movie that I think yeah. sets it apart from kind mm-hmm. of other. You know, Patrick was bringing up kind of the vibe of like the 2005, 2006, oh, like yeah, New York, like very New York, shiny. I'm going to make it. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. wave, that like wave. Everyone long is hair. living in like Sex in the City or Pop like they want to be in Sex in the City. Yeah. 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 I know. Uh, I, I thought it was so funny. Like when you see all the other women in the opening sequence where they like, they're from Uptown or the Meatpacking. And it's like, Anne Hathaway lives in the like the Lower East Side. I'm like, that's cool. And I guess no one on this movie knew that at that time that that was cool, but it's whatever. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I, the part where uh, Stanley Tucci doesn't get the job, mm. and just the close-up on Tucci as it's kind of like crossing oh. over his face, and oh, he does shit. it wordlessly. Mm-hmm. He's got that giant ring. <laughs> like, oh, that I ring rules. That ring. I love, <laughs> love that. That's ring. like okay. So we do like a we do like a, a thing like the, the Tucci like the character like the best supporting like I'm gonna give it to the damn ring. That's spoiler. Yeah. Alert. <laughs> That's my... He has a lot of great props in this movie. He <laughs> is so good like he is so good and so grounded throughout this entire movie in a character that definitely in a lot of other actors hands probably would have cranked it up a little too high and oh yeah it would have probably in anyone else's hands would have been like offensive oh yeah yeah yeah. and this is yeah this is like a funny it's it's so funny how like this movie like it's only like 14 years old and it already feels dated in a lot of ways like wildly yeah, like some of the ways, but I have to say, in that scene that you're talking about at the um, big like luncheon where they're where Andy thinks that um, Miranda's going to get like upended, mm-hmm. what Stanley Tucci's character goes through is something that I have witnessed. Yeah, wherein you oh, are working for someone yep. that is revered, but who everyone is like terrified by. And like, you know, it's like, there's no thank yous, there's no pleases, all of that stuff. But because you're in it, like you, like you, your worldview sort of shrinks. And so for him to be like, you know, she'll pay me back another time. It's not my time. It's like that, that hits me in a way uh, that again, I'm like, this movie is a documentary. (laughs) I think it's also, it's, it's, it's hugely important for Anne Hathaway's journey because Stanley Tucci has been kind of the guy, he's like, obviously he's very on board at Runway, he's a big part of the culture, but he's kind of the realist who kind of like sees the truth, he's the truth sayer to her all the way through. And he's the one who gets shit on and then just kind of nods his head and like, I guess we move forward. And to see that on top of the the very next scene, which is the one I see a lot of you. Yeah. I see a lot of me and you. It's kind of that double dose of like, okay, the guy who is supposed to be the one kind of independent person around here turns out to be first in line to walk off the bridge if he's asked to. And then I get told I'm just like the person who's going to push the one 
truth truth telling guy off the bridge i know i mean i think that's the thing that makes this movie way better than it should be yeah you know like because it should be just like a silly fluffy whatever Mm -hmm. but the thing that it does get right is the dynamic of working for someone like a miranda um and like uh figuring out what your level of like being like stockholmed is <laughs> yeah. honestly it's like if they could just like tweak it's almost like in some ways it is almost like a perfect movie like if they could just like tweak some of the friends stuff and the relationship yeah. stuff that's like pretty much because like and not all of it is bad like i actually love the scene with like the dad who came to town yeah and like having to like also you know very real Oh. An important an important scene in these kind of movies. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like that's like yeah, and that felt real. And like it's funny, I bet like the person, like she must have been an assistant for someone, right? Or like a a uh, the Aline Brush McKenna, like the person who wrote this. Yeah. Like she, yeah, she had to have had some of the because that stuff felt so real compared to like and it's and it's funny because like of course like the stuff that like the assistant stuff would if you if you were an assistant to someone of course that stuff would feel more real than the the friend stuff because you probably didn't have enough time to actually do real friend stuff right. <laughs> if you were if you were in like living that lifestyle unfortunately <laughs> and I yeah. think the thing that um I kind of went back and forth on with the friend stuff too is that I have been in situations where it's like I've sat in the corner and like literally like done work at a party or like been on a family vacation where like I'm just sitting in a car in a parking lot while my like parents are like in the museum Mm -hmm. and like but no one ever gave me a hard time yeah yeah and the thing with the friends it's like they could have still given her a hard time about it but been like are you okay but instead of being like, are you okay? It's like, you're changing. You're terrible. We hate this. But also, I will still take the Mark Jacobs back. I know. Yeah. After bribing them with, uh, and I just kept screaming. At the, I was like, take it and then go return it and get $2,000 in cold, hard cash. Exactly. <laughs> also, exactly. The scene, also, the scene where they're throwing the phone, that's sociopath shit. That's evil. That was yeah. like, fun. That, that part of the movie, like they're the bad guys in that scene. <laughs> You're totally like, right. The friend stuff is the most broad in the movie. Oh, it's well, so yeah. we could jump into who I actually, I believe to be the true villain of this movie, and that is Christian, the uh, New Yorker oh, no, writer. Uh, With uh, that uh, face and the uh, hair and, and the scarf. Oh, man. A pre-mentalist uh. Simon Baker? Ooh, la, la. <laughs> the damn Ooh, mentalist. La. Who, is, who is grooming her? It's very gross. That I totally. only noticed this time out that he's promising her jobs and everything like that, yep. and he's going to drop her the second. And he is just he lurks too. Like when Tracy Tom's like, "You're in the corner with him," and I was like, "He is a corner guy." He shows yeah. up out of the dark, and he's like, yeah. "Hello." And he's got all these lines, and she even calls him on it. You got a series of lines. Yeah, he's done but this that's, a million that's times. That's the thing that I like about it because she's smart enough to know that she's. Like she's not um, naive enough to think uh, that like oh they're like gonna fall in love and like run yeah, away. Yeah, that's together. true. It's like, yeah, it's that thing where it's like I will say yes to a date with a hot guy, but like uh, I'm wary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One and thing we like- were talking about before we went on too is like uh, one thing that sets this in 2006. In 2020, I don't think she has an affair with him. No. I think it comes close, but they don't do that in a movie in 2020. And- Absolutely. I think that that added something very cool that this movie has is this kind of moral ambiguity from both of the characters and they're kind of back and forth between kind of being a little hard, like, 
you know, the career, like anything for the career, and then also kind of like the vacillating between the two things, which makes them, I think, much more complicated and interesting characters. Yeah, well, and also cements like Anne Hathaway's character. Like, I mean, it's pretty much like established at that point, but like, you know, it's a mincer is like someone who is in the game and she like, she's not, she is no longer the sweater intro right. person. She is mm-hmm. like, she knows what's up. She is savvy. Yeah. yeah, but to be fair, I mean, she and her boyfriend did break up. Oh yeah, and they're mm-hmm. in Paris. At, it's you know what I mean. It's no, like, I don't. I, I don't blame it's her. It's like, like she... why people fall in love on The Bachelor. You know what I mean? It's was like I... sure we're on the state in Rome. Like I guess whatever. Yeah. <laughs> was I the only one doing David Schwimmer impressions when she? I was like, we want a break. <laughs> <laughs> Which yes. did not occur to me. It I, I, did occur to me, especially when, uh, yeah, I kept thinking back on Entourage being grumpy back home, being like a semi-successful chef. Right. Oh, man. Here's here's an admittance I'll make. I've never seen an episode of Friends. Well, Whoa. I've never seen a single episode of Friends. You're probably living just fine. Yeah. I think, I mean, <laughs> you probably are fine because those, I will say, they don't, a lot of them do not hold up well. Like, there is a lot of fat phobia there's a lot of homophobia there's a lot lot of of gay panic on there isn't there a lot of gay panic it's really crazy um but it is it's one of those things where like when i like peak middle school high school there were episodes on at like seven and 11 but then all Mm. like so syndication but then also still it was on like musty tv Mm. i think i've seen every episode of friends at least three times and I'm not necessarily proud of that, but it's just like, that was the monoculture. Everyone watched Friends. It, it's true. I don't like the show, and I've seen every episode twice, probably. Yeah, I feel, hey, you know what? Uh, you guys have seen every, and you're like not proud of seeing every episode. I've seen every episode of the Cosby show probably like twice. Ah. And so that's the one I'm like, it's like, oh man, that has was that, a- um Has that dated well? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I just remember my favorite episode is there is an episode where they like all the family members come down the stairs and they sing nighttime is the right time. And it was just like so cool. And like Felicia Rashad is so cool. Like everyone is cool. Minus Bill Cosby is like so yeah. cool. Oh, totally. just like, ah, this family. They're a fun family. I think my favorite, yeah. uh, I will have to say it's the one where it's like a later season and you can tell it's later because it's like a dream episode. Where all oh, the cool. guys, all the guys get pregnant. Every man in the car, they all get pregnant, and then they give wow. birth. They give it's so funny because the the crux is that was when they all give birth, and they all give birth to like things that like men stereotypically like. Wow. So like the one guy gives birth to like a boat, another person gives birth <laughs> to a little car, and then wow. Bill Cosby's character gives birth to like a twelve foot sandwich and a liter <laughs> wow. of orange soda. It is insane. I mean that is. <laughs> That is crazy multicam comedy. I, I can't think of anything broader than that. Like, I mean, real, like I, well, that must have come out around the same time as they did Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which there was a real right. like hot hot period of what like, would be what like if two yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hot hot comedy topics right there. Wouldn't that be wild? No, it's weirder than a guy giving birth to a baby. A guy a giving soda. birth to a soda and a sandwich. <laughs> a 12, what an insane, uh, everyone just like, you know, maybe edit out Bill Cosby's face or something or like do like the Black Mirror thing where you, you download a, a thing that, that that like blurs him forever from you or whatever. Oh. But like, 
Yeah, but then, but then just like watch that because it's like, yeah, that is such an insane. Just, um, put Christopher Plummer in there. Oh yeah, oh, just put Plummer. Drop a plum. Drop a plum. That's what I believe. That's what Ridley Scott was saying. Yeah. Not in all the money in the world. The was, the world like, yeah. We gotta go drop a plum. <laughs> Gold yeah, British, it's like, it's, it sounds like British slang. <laughs> yeah. Drive, drive me to Trader Joe's. I need to buy drop a plum. A plum. <laughs> I need. I need a plum. Uh, a single plum. Oh man! Uh, no on. one, no, no. I don't think anyone needs to be plumbed in Devil Wears. No, Prada. no plums. It's yeah. all good. You don't need any plum. You know, we Wait, already got outside of the outside of the character, Christian. Oh um, yeah, he's a necessary <laughs> evil. Yeah, he that, is a necessary be... evil. He is yeah. kind of the. You know, I mean, there's a lot of devils around Anne Hathaway's corner in this film. Oh yeah, Love but I, I, I think I think that this movie like. It's one of those ones like people like will turn to and say like, it, it it's not like an you know like a, it's certainly not like an artsy movie by any means, but it hits like the like the screenwriting and storytelling yeah. notes yeah. to such a perfect pitch. Like every scene has that like positive negative charge for your leading character as they're moving into the next scene. Yeah. Everything like easily swims into, you know. I mean, it, it's a real breezy movie. Well, and I think that if if the people who were in this movie, Streep included, were not as good as they are, mm-hmm. it would have been a much worse movie also. Mm-hmm. Oh, because yeah. everyone is so good. And because Streep, I mean, she, the thing that's really confounding about the Miranda character is that even though I know I'm not supposed to like her, and even though she is objectively like mean and horrible and like, not what you would want in a boss. She is, Meryl Streep's talent is infusing people who shouldn't have any sort of humanity with humanity. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it just everything she's doing in this one, because I mean, we've, we've kind of talked about it before how wonderful of a physical actor Meryl Streep is, like all of her like business and moves and stuff like that. Oh yeah, tactile. This one, this one though, she is so still and she's doing everything with her eyes and mm-hmm. face and it's, <sighs> so strong because you're getting this such a mix of emotions like if like when she brings her like the um the harry potter book and kind of the look on her face like oh i want to be like she wants to like give like one of her great like snippy lines at her but you can see in her eyes like ooh, that's not bad you know it's like and it's just kind of like how she and even at the end the part where in halfways across the street and they um kind of catch each other's eyes and You know, Meryl Streep doesn't give you the whole like smile, like "Hey, I understand you now." Well, she is. I mean, to be based on Anna Winter, who is notoriously icy, uh, that is one thing. I do think another thing, whether or not this, like, in an alternate universe where this wasn't based on someone, it wouldn't surprise me if Meryl's performance weren't exactly the same though because Mm. for a woman in charge like there are so few women in charge in this world and for her to be like if she were to be like hysterical or loud or like any sort of not constrained in a way that seems um that would like betray like her insecurity or any sort of emotion like I do think a lot of women especially older women it's like I don't know we don't need I think, to talk no, but like I think, you know, with Hillary, it's just like y- you have to fill such a narrow role, and like 
hit yeah. all of, or and avoid mm-hmm. things that you know you're going to be dinged for just because you're a woman. Yeah, and I, I mean, obvi- yeah, I mean, Hillary Clinton is obviously a very obvious version of that that she had to walk such a narrow line, and that didn't, at the end of the day, still didn't. You know, I mean, you think about someone else, like not a presidential figure, but like on the male side of things. Like, I read the biography of Steve Jobs, okay. and that guy was a you know, forgive me, fucking asshole. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. yeah. Oh, and, I saw the movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. And it, you know, he does all of this at like Atlantis. And he's a total, like, and he's a saint. Like, to. He's a genius. A certain, he's, he's, a gen- techno- yeah. he's a technological yeah. genius. He's a business genius. Uh, his style is iconic. You know, like, he's, there's yeah, no fault. Style, he's and frankly, I mean, like, Miranda's would tell him his style sucked. Let's be honest, but um, but I, I mean, obviously, this is not new news to anyone who pays attention to anything and has like a pulse. <laughs> but uh, you know, but I, it's still worth you know. I think that this movie that helped that utilizing those themes and through this character that kind of helps this movie raise above being kind of a fluffy "is she gonna make it in the big city" kind yeah. of movie that we've seen a million times. I think that kind of is what makes this movie special and I and I just I think each time out you see new things yeah. in Meryl Streep's performance yeah. in particular I, but the rest of the movie in general too. I will say too that like this is like a movie where like okay like if I had like a, a film class and one of the weeks like we were gonna study like if I wanted to show the film like these are like the 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 films that best like these are these represent the peak peak mainstream Hollywood filmmaking in the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this would be like number one with a bullet. Like I'm trying to think of other movies and I'm not counting like your Coen brothers and like your Artie, like I'm talking just like mainstream. Like a, main, like a solid mainstream film. Right. Yeah, solid mainstream Hollywood. Like I would say like this one and, I, and I'm having a, a hard time even struggling. I, I, gotta, I gotta throw my, my boy Michael Clayton into the mix Ooh. as a rock solid mainstream oh, totally. like straight up like you know that is like uh, these are both hitting very like traditional like girl makes it at the big city or disgruntled lawyer finds a heart yeah. those are very typical like <laughs> yeah. you know and sadly movies I, I think we're dying for movies okay. like this what these days it, the budget was like 35 million dollars that's crazy <laughs> That, I mean, those at are, that time. Those movies are not being made anymore. Yeah, no. it's either like one million or like a billion dollar movie. Yeah, yeah, and, or or like if they're being made, they're being made for streaming and they're being filmed right. like television shows. Right. I mean, there, there was the thing about this movie too. It's like every time, like when she's walking down the street with Christian in France, they're in Paris. Right. If she's walk every street she walks down in New York, they're in New York. Like right. everything is in that texture of being actually at a real location, like in a real room, you do feel it and it gets you a little, I think, I mean, at least in my taste, it gets you more involved yes. in the movie as a whole. Like There is nothing I like less when I am watching a movie and it's supposed to be one place, but it's clearly shot in another place. <sighs> oh yeah. And I realize that I'm probably a little bit of a, a snob about it because I lived in New York for 10 years, but I'm like, anytime it's like Vancouver for New York, I'm like, yeah. you can tell immediately those buildings are weird. Those cabs are weird. They're not yeah. the same. What is this? Like, rum- like- was it Rumble in the Bronx, I think is a great example of that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Jackie like- Chan. The Bronx of Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. No or like offense, uh, though. Jackie Chan is a king. Oh and, no, it slaps. Uh, like, like, yeah, yeah, no, just like, and it's and now it's like awesome. Like they're just having weird ATV chases through the 
the fields of New York or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think you feel that wherever you're from too. I, I, I always remember like there's this, uh, the Stallone movie, Assassins, a uh, classic that I'm sure everyone remembers quite well, uh, was filmed in Seattle. And there's mm. this big chase between him and Antonio Banderas where Stallone is bouncing. Literally, mm. he will turn a corner and be in a different neighborhood like four <laughs> or five miles away. And pretty <laughs> well, it like the geography here is just a mess. Crazy. <laughs> Uh, How is he doing that? Seattle movies are Sleeps in Seattle, obviously, mm-hmm. and also 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes, yes. I remember because I was uh, doing drama in high school around a similar time period in which 10 Things I Hate About You was Incredible. being filmed. And that was one of the two movies that we actually heard about. Like, oh, you want to need like an audition for being one of the students? <laughs> like the other one was, of course, uh, the aforementioned Perfect Score. Oh, the other one. <laughs> man. You know what? That cast is... I had a few friends audition for like the parts in that movie. They wanted to, they were thinking about doing a local. They did not. I they were thinking about it. I'll tell you what, like that cast like low-key bops. It's like Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, uh Leonardo Nam, who's great in Westworld. Nam in, uh, in Westworld. Uh former NBA star Darius Miles. Yeah, Darius Miles. <laughs> Darius Miles slaps. He's so good in it. Yeah. Uh and then Brian Greenberg and Erica Christensen. And it's like, wow, I want this it, is I want an early 2000s movie if I've ever heard. Yeah. Oh, you I really was... like rattled off that cast with relative ease, my oh, man. <laughs> I'm not even looking at Wikipedia, my friend. I've watched that movie so many times. I want, I want, give me a sequel. I want to see where the fuck all those, do. like, what? And then Matthew Lillard as like the the the, the brother that lives oh, above the attic. Heroes, I love Lillard. Give me a gritty, a gritty. Like they're all sad. They have to do one score together. Brian Greenberg inherited his dad's plumbing company. I remember specific plot yeah. points in this movie. Jeez, it sounds like you remember it more than the Devil Wears Prada. I do. It's a curse. I'm cursed with perfect score. Brain. What? A, what? A, what a! What a completely just random curse. Like, boy, I, guys, I got a huge problem. I've been cursed. Yeah. I just know everything about the perfect score. Yeah. I, I, I ran over a, a witch's poodle. And... Yeah. <laughs> like the, 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 the worst Stephen King novel ever. Yeah. <laughs> Esoteric specifics. Esoteric yes. specifics. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I think that since we just rattled off a huge bit of perfect score, we're probably reaching the end of our uh, initial Devil Wears Prada discussion. Uh, does anyone have any final uh, thoughts on Devil Wears Prada or Streep's uh, role? And, or have, do we, have we scraped the bottom of the barrel? There's part of me that wanted a lot more of Miranda mm. in the movie, but it's, it's like, obviously she is weirdly like almost a secondary character. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, this will not be the last time I'm watching this movie, obviously. I, I would love like a, uh, a Maleficent meets Irishman <laughs> sort of origin story for Miranda where they like the, the Irishman, you know, Meryl Streep. Let's, so- let's cut Maleficent, oh just the Irishman, but it's Miranda's story. It would be so awesome. Yeah, just the, or like a three, a three hour yeah. origin story. Same with- exact ending. She's in the wheelchair. Yes. Can you keep the door open a little bit? <laughs> oh, like I love the, it. She has love like the, it. The, 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 the prayer beads. 
Yes. Oh, God. oh, I love it. I, I am so sold on it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Stanley Tucci sort of like the Al Pacino. Oh, just ends with yeah. yeah. She has a pop oh. out. Three hours and she has to pop out the Stanley Tucci in the back of the head. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, so good. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. think um, I agree. Like, I think I, I think that it's just enough, but it's because the character is so interesting and what she does with the character is so interesting. Yeah. It does leave you wanting more, which is probably the sign of a good damn movie. Probably, yeah. Oh, it's uh, good. We want to take a quick break before Ooh, we go would, to- Would love that. Death yeah, 100%, Compton. Let's 100%. take a quick break and then we'll okay. get jump right into Death Compton. Awesome, and I'll make sure to, I will edit this bad boy out. Three, uh, two, and one. We're we're back. You know, um, one thing though that Christina, your final thoughts, kind of you had briefly mentioned, kind of like she isn't like the center. Meryl's not the center of attention, right? In uh, Devil Wears Prada, I think that like it branches nicely to our next film, and also is kind of like that definitely brings up kind of like a topic that has come up quite a bit on our show, which is um, Meryl Streep is the ultimate team player, right? In yes. every mood, like she's the best co-star of like pr- probably of like a major who's also a major major movie star. Yeah, and she's almost to I almost think it's like can occasionally like in a film like Out of Africa, for instance, be to her detriment in like how much she's giving. Like we want to yeah. see her more upfront, and I know that like this does get back to our the way we started the show, which is kind of the general misogyny and the fact that up until probably the late 90s every single movie she's in she shares a poster with a big male right. star and she right. doesn't get a chance to really lead the thing on her own right which she's obviously more than capable of and should have but you know she's always with De Niro or Redford or Dusty and um <laughs> Your close personal friend, Dusty. <laughs> yeah, get ready, folks. Kramer is a Kramer. I read a book. We'll talk about it. <laughs> uh, but we're moving on, like to our next film, a movie that this was my third time watching since we've started this podcast. Because uh, we all, I also helped cover it on our brother, sister, wife podcast my wife jen's show <laughs> uh, everything is scary we talked about this film uh, we're talking about uh the 1992 film death becomes her directed by robert zemeckis written by martin donovan not the esteemed character actor we want to make that very clear different to martin donovan and uh david kep this movie was budgeted at 55 million dollars yikes one a box office total of 149 mm. million this movie received mixed reviews uh 54 percent yeah. on rotten tomatoes han and streep are as fabulous as death becomes there's innovative special effects zemeckis satire on the other hand is as hollow as the world it mocks wow i'm um, so glad to hear that one academy award nomination one win best visual effects oh interesting uh as we talked about in the previous episode this one was a real like kind of revolutionary film for visual effects when it came out and it was the same house that uh, a year later designed the jurassic park effects and they all said that this was kind of a testing ground to see how far they could take the computer graphics and computer effects 
hmm. that they took to the next level the following year in Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, third time we've watched this movie. Christina, have you seen this movie before? I have never seen this movie. Obviously, I knew that it existed, and I knew the like iconic. I couldn't, in my memory, I couldn't remember if it was Meryl Streep or Goldie Hawn who had the hole in her stomach. But I like that image. Generally speaking, was an image that I was aware of, but I'd never seen it. Um, I have to say, I really struggled with this movie. <laughs> and I'm actually really relieved to hear that the, that the critique at the time uh, doesn't overblow. Like I, I was expecting the critique at the time to be more generally favorable um, just because of, I don't know if you guys like ever have this, like I have a real problem when I watch movies, well, when I watch all movies, but especially older movies, mm -hmm. it's hard for me to just like accept that like this movie was made in a different time, right? Right. Um, and especially with this movie, I was just like, oh, I've never wanted to hear opinions from white straight men less than right now, like about women and beauty and vanity and aging. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah, I feel yeah. it. Did you find it funny at all? Uh, I mean, I don't ever recall laughing out loud. Um, I think that, I think the only part that I really enjoyed, like genuinely enjoyed, uh, which already still has an asterisk, is the scene that is behind Patrick, the songbird oh. scene. Oh. Like, I was just like... <laughs> It would have been so fun to like be in that scene with Meryl and like <laughs> rehearse a big musical number. And she's like pretending to be sort of like Marilyn Monroe. Like I genuinely enjoyed it. And I, I mean, if you're not paying attention to the lyrics, I'm like, oh, this is like, I'm enjoying this, this melody. Um, but no, I didn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we find this movie far funnier. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Uh, I was laughing my ass off last night in, watching this movie. In what way? Like, I, what was getting you? I think this movie is goofy and ridiculous, and mm. it's cartoonish. I think the way everything from how Bruce Willis runs makes me laugh. His physicality was very funny, I but think, in a way that I was like, oh, he's not a bad actor. Noted. I, I think <laughs> yeah. he's so funny in this movie, and I wish he had done more comedies, because he's doing, like, He's definitely doing like a Looney Tunes oh, exasperated yeah. man character, and right. I and I and I, I think that scene with Sidney Pollock is so freaking funny. Just the oh, way Sidney Pollock it. reacts His... to everything. Yeah, and he takes the drink. And he asks for pulls out the flask. Yeah, He's like, yeah, yeah. give me some of that. And he just like immediately like, there's just like the game that there's an improv shit. Uh, the game that they're playing in that yeah. scene of like, ex like just like being exasperated and just like going with it, and then the fact that he dies of a heart attack. Is... But that's the <laughs> most grounded scene of the movie, right? A doctor freaking out because someone sitting in front of them is alive but dead. Like Somewhat. every yeah. other part of the movie is just like, why? What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it is like it's so funny because like when I watch this movie, I think the movie that it, it's most tonally similar to in my head is uh, who framed Roger Rabbit. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels mm -hmm. like such a heightened film. And I was talking to, and I've said this, I think, in the previous podcast, too. Like, this movie feels like such a, if 
from the beginning, like the beginning, especially when they're outside of the theater and it's like, it's, you know, they have 1978 plays, uh, shows and you're like, it's raining out or whatever. Was it raining? I can't remember if it was originally yeah, raining. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that feels like, it's almost like the beginning of like the great Muppet caper where it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. we're like in a film set. This isn't even like, it's oh, so obviously dude. a film set. Like it feels was, like, yeah, it's so okay. heightened. Sorry. Yeah. I was thinking, no, I was thinking like, was this Robert Zemeckis's attempt at like a Tim Burton movie? Yeah. Because between like the music oh, and it's... like to your point of like everything looks like a film set, mm-hmm. I truly, I do not know what was going on with cinematography and lighting and production design in this time, but like all of these movies from this era, like it's overlit. Everything is too bright. Everything is not, the light is not motivated and everything looks like it's made of plastic, even if it's not made of plastic. You know what I mean? I, I hate this aesthetic. (laughs) This is like my least Uh, favorite aesthetic. See, that's why I I kind of like that aesthetic. kind of like it because it's like, it just adds to the. Yeah. It feels like such a, it feels like such a, like, it just feels like a movie to me in a way Mm -hmm. that like, I don't know. And it feels like it's so like itself it's so reflexive it, it's it itself knows it's a movie right uh if that makes it i don't know and, 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 and to your and to your point too i think you hit the nail on the head on the aesthetic it's not like a great aesthetic i think you're i think it's fair to find it it's very gaudy it's and like garish yeah garish yeah garish is yeah it. that yeah. is in character though oh totally the three with our three leads yeah and it's like and it's like yeah and i'd say like this movie like uh in you know, the tim burton point you made too because like this movie yeah. i think almost shares like the most DNA with like, yeah, with number one, uh, the Pooh and Roger Rabbit, but then also the Tim Burton Batmans and the Joel Schumacher Batmans. Yes. Like it is of that mm-hmm. of that era. I just saw the, I can't even remember which one, but the one where Michelle Pfeiffer is Catwoman. Batman Ooh, returns. returns. Ooh. Yeah. Psychotic. Bruce Wayne, but, but what are you doing dressed as Batman Because for? you know that world we already know that like Gotham, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like New York, but it's not. So it's like, it's weirdly, yeah. you can like buy it more. Yeah. But in this, a thing that I had a big question about, and I don't want to like skip ahead if you guys still have stuff to oh, say. Oh, no, go ahead. No, no, like, keep, keep going. There was a, the whole like Meryl's wound in this movie is that mm-hmm. she was like cheap or like trashy oh yeah and they kept sort of saying that and i'm just like i don't know where this is coming from because also we got no backstory of who they actually were and it just felt to me i was like okay i guess like i i'm having like a really hard time figuring out like uh, i don't know character is or like who, who she is but also just like the fact that she it just sounded like these guys are like, okay, what are women mad at each other for? Like, what if we heard <laughs> women scream at each other on like Jerry Springer? And like, that'll just be like the, the motivation behind everything. And I just felt like, I think it could have been a really good satir- satire on aging and vanity and what it's like to be like a female star. But because there was no, no backstory okay. of any of that, it's just like, uh, if you're a woman, you're automatically vain, which also means that you're like jealous and like treacherous and like only care about revenge, which like makes me really angry because like 
Bruce Willis's character is literally a plastic surgeon. And for him to be the weird, like, moral beacon in this movie, I was like, what is happening? This feels like weirdly, like, inverse, like, incel or something. I was just like, I hate this. Well, it's, it's also, like, the way that, like, he gets, <laughs> the way that his character gets, uh, it's, like, comical the way, like, comical, like, maybe not, and not intentionally comical. It's unintentionally sure. comical the way that, like, by the end of the movie, he dies, like, He's a great man, and his life started at fifty. And right. He, he started a center for women. It's like what? A center for women's studies. I was like, go fuck yourself. This is a nightmare. It's I truly, it. truly insane. I, I just found it so cartoonish because he's such a loser. Oh yeah. All the way through that when they get to this like just completely insane over-the-top resume of what he did after we left him. Right. I was just like, this is just so... And I think the interesting thing is, I, I don't know why this is, every time I've watched the movie, I've kind of, like, watched it on this, like, scene-by-scene, scene, like, get through this, like, joke or this, like, bit basis. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree fully. I, I think the most polite way I could put the ideology of this movie is muddled. Like... Muddled misogyny. Yeah, and like trying to say something but doesn't have it. It's not coherent at no. the very least. But like, yeah, I, I, I definitely like, I, I think I've probably, you know, I think you make such good points. I've probably forgiven a lot of it just by kind of the scene by scene basis of like when Meryl Streep is yelling flaccid at him over That's and over again. Scene. That's the best scene, honestly. I, like I'm like laughing my ass off and it's like, but even this time out, it's like, oh, the entire like inciting thing is he like strangles her and then pushes her downstairs, right, which is just, not oh, like a like does it? He murders her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just like at, yeah, misogynist, t- toxic male insecurity. Well, and I think the thing too is like the movie like tacitly like imp- uh, not tacitly that's the wrong term, but like it's subtly maybe not even subtly like it supports. Bruce Willis, like, you're supposed to be on his side when he pushes her, because, right. yeah, because he says that thing where it's, like, he's helping her out, and then she's, like, you know, come on, little dick, or, yeah. like, whatever, like, mean thing he's, right. and, and that's... She, because, she's very mean to him, but it, it's no excuse for... But I think that's the thing that made me the most upset about the movie, is that it's very clear that Bruce Willis is, like, if any man is watching this movie, they are supposed to identify with Bruce Willis, whether they are successful, unsuccessful, handsome, not handsome. Like he to he to me is the stand-in for the like, I'm just the victim of like women's uh, like vanity yeah. and like vapidness. Cause I couldn't figure out the whole time. I was like, why do these women like him? Like if he was Bruce Willis in Die Hard. <laughs> I understand why these women would be fighting over him. But the fact that he plays such a like, I, there, there's, you're right. Yeah, there's just so much about this movie that I'm just like, I really can't follow the thread and thereby whatever pertinent points they have about vanity or aging or whatever, it just like completely loses any credibility with me. I will say though that to be fair, just like that, I think that like one thing that Bruce Willis is like, like he is. I think the movie does a good job of making it clear that he is a stooge, at least he's initially. Total, yeah, he's a total. He's a he's a slub, and he's like not only is he a stooge, but he's like a stooge that's going in between. He's going from like Meryl Streep to Goldie Hawn to Meryl Streep, and doing, I think the second he 
and I think it's one of the funniest jump cuts in the movie. The second he said there's going to be no problem that right, he's marrying Meryl Streep. But that's also the scene where I'm like, oh, he sucks too. This is a movie about terrible people. Oh, yeah. And I'm just going to kind of live in that. But oh, your yeah. point about being a schlub, though, like, I still, that doesn't answer why these women like him. No. I guess for Meryl, it's like, oh, he's a plastic surgeon. Like, I can get my shit done for free. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, what? I don't, like, I, there's no, uh there's no good reason i would almost rather the movie be about i mean the movie is about them fighting over him but like Mm -hmm. i would at least like to know why they're fighting over him well i think it's not that they're in competition which like again i'm not going to sit here and say that like women don't compete with each other but like if i were the goldie hawn character and i continuously had a friend who was constantly stealing my boyfriends we would not be friends anymore this movie the plot of this movie wouldn't exist also why were they at the fucking show <sighs> but that, yeah but like but but here's the thing though too is like i think like it is like i think you're 100 percent right and i think like i think it is kind of like a i almost think it's like a joke that like they like it reminds me of like she devil like it's another ed beagley jr where it's like part of the bit is like she, it's I think She Devil's satire is a lot clearer. I have seen this one. She Devil. Ooh, it's she Devil's, it she Devil's good. She okay, Devil's fun. Good. Okay. I mean it's definitely in the same vein as this. It's like very heightened, very like Yeah. I mean, like there's a slow motion shot of Roseanne walking away from a blowing up Ed, Ed Bagley's house. <laughs> Actually, I think I have that. I'll I'll, I'll get yeah, that in the background that, going. It's awesome. <laughs> It's it's such a funny movie and I miss it. It, it lost to Devil Wears Prada in the Devil versus Devil showdown uh, in yeah, the first see. round. There it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a wonderful wow. insane. Um, God, the nineties were such a wild time. Yeah, that was one thing. Like obviously, I think like I think Christine makes amazing points that I'm like rethinking everything in real time, and I'm like, damn, did I really just look at this in a very surfacey way of like oh that's cool she's got a hole in her stomach of early special effects and stuff oh, yeah. like that no, me too me too <laughs> i yeah. think that there's like a like a mind-blowing like oh that's wild that they're doing all that and this movie's so crazy but there is like a, at least for me like this nostalgia factor of like bonkers for the sake of bonkers mm-hmm. movies right. that just are and kind of like humor that like isn't like ironic or anything like that it's just very right. kind of like silly and in the moment kind of stuff and physical i think and, but there are movies like that that you just described that are also like good and make sense you know what i mean like this movie to me like when you like okay i was going through robert zemeckis's um imdb and far be it for me to like critique his of. <laughs> but like you know if you look at his movie like back to the future i think is a great example of what you're saying mm-hmm. like there are like problematic moments in it but the 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 idea of the story makes sense we care about why the the character like marty and doc like we care about what they're doing we understand the stakes of it and like we like these people like we're rooting for them mm-hmm. whereas and there are like crazy jokes where like you know, like, I would say scatological humor is not high up there for me, but, like, do I cheer every time Biff gets shit dumped all over him? Like, yes. You Biff know is I mean? a very like, good bad guy. Right, yeah. exactly. And so, like, I would I would put those movies side by side with this, of, like, they're equally as, like, zany and broad and, like, have all these crazy plot things and story effects and or special effects and, like, 
all the things that you're saying, but like at its heart, it is still a good movie. And it's also like emotionally motivated. Whereas like this movie is just like, bitches be crazy. And like, it's just like a comment on like the plastic culture surgery of like the nineties. It's extremely 1991, Mm -hmm. this movie. And I think that like, we were talking about that earlier about even like, I, this is the third time I've watched it this year. This is the first time I noticed that it opens with the 1978 card because I was like, <laughs> all, all of this takes place in 1991, clearly. Right, right. But I think, like, bringing back the future escape point, the movie that, like, keeps popping in my mind uh, com- that is completely bonkers but works as satire and hits all of these no- same notes is a movie I think is a masterpiece, which is Gremlins 2, The New Batch. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen that. And we've t- we talked about it before that this feels like kind of like a first draft of a Joe Dante movie. Mm. That because his entire thing, whether it's Gremlins, whether it's Inner Space. Um, oh, Inner Space, yeah, love. <laughs> same kind of deal. Like, uh, yeah. you know, even his horror movies like The Howling or something like that, he's got, he's fir- ch- tongue firmly planted in cheek. Yeah. He's laughing at everything, but he has a warmth to it. He understands, like, the moviness of it. And, I mean, this might go to kind of something Robert Zemeckis has been accused of since probably the beginning of his career is his... He's far more interested in the technological side of filmmaking sure. than, let's say, the human side. Oh, yeah. He's another, uh, he's another James Cameron, I would oh, say. I think, it, uh, I think Jim Cameron actually understands audience's desire for like a human connection sure uh, otherwise he wouldn't have had the terminator give the thumbs up as he's going down <laughs> at the end of terminator 2 i fair, mean fair i mean i, th- I think he's a, i think he's a genius but i also yes he seems to be very very lost in the technological side another person who i think is so human but is also very lost in the technical side would be ang lee mm. oh um, what about like you know the ice storm i don't yeah. know i feel like he is like a he he's a very interesting swing back and forth between which i think yeah. makes something like gemini man all the more surprising mm, when he's made brokeback mountain he's made the ice right. storm these very extraordinarily human grounded movies but he can also bounce between you know gemini man um i mean he combined it with the billy lynn's halftime walk movie which was a grounded Iraq war movie shot in the huge frame rate for in 3D which right. is just kind of nuts and I, I like the movie but I think the effects completely took away from right. the emotional power of it but I think like when you get your hands on these toys it can be quite exciting if you're real tech-minded and like I think the tail wagging the dog though right I'm hmm. like oh we can do this We'll just figure out a story to like, so that I can have Meryl Streep's head go all the way back and then go all the way forward again. Yeah, and I guarantee he spent more time on that than he did thinking about the um, nuances of the characters. And there are stories too. Meryl Streep said after she made the film, she would never do a special effects driven movie again. I saw an interview with her where it felt like it was... (laughs) hard for her to sort of like uh mask her disdain for her experience on the movie Mm -hmm. like she was saying in this interview that like you know she would they would do a take where they would play it grounded and then they would do takes where it was completely over the top and like those were the ones they used and she was like 
I sure. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want. <laughs> I, and I think it's funny because I think that is like the mood, but it is like, yeah, I think, I think that is like, it's weirdly, that is like, I feel like Robert, that is like Robert Zemeckis' aesthetic is like weirdly heightened. Mm. I think that mm-hmm. is like, and I think, and I'm even thinking about like the movie, I, I've been thinking about this, like the movie that I would relate, uh, I would compare this to the most in Zemeckis's own like uh, library. At first I was thinking who framed Roger Rabbit, but the more I think about it, I would almost say used cars maybe. Yeah. Where it's if like- used cars, it's, like, it's more of a pure comedy. Yeah, where it's like, and it's Not also high like a, concept. Yeah, it's high concept, and it's also like, <laughs> it's like I think both of these movies, and I think it's like you know, it's on. They both kind of share. A, I think both used cars and uh, this movie, they both share like a lack of empathy a little bit. Uh, yeah. Which is like, which is fair because, like, you know, they, they, they're the characters are not like supposed to be empathetic. Like, they're not like written as empathetic people. But it is like, but yeah, that's, like that's the difference though between this movie and Devil Wears Prada, though, right? Yeah, like, because true. you don't, we don't, we don't like Miranda Priestly, but we understand her oh, and yeah, we totally. do empathize with her. <laughs> like, I, the, my biggest sort of throughout the throughout as I was watching my idea that I came back to over and over again was like this would have worked if we just knew who these people were and saw like where they started like that whole scene that's like basically two-thirds of the way into the movie where Meryl and Goldie finally kind of like have it out and are like why do you hate me like I would have just liked to see them in college like Goldie being whatever classes snooty to Meryl yeah so that we can see that wound so yeah. I don't know, just so that we at least understand why they're like seeking this, like psychotic revenge on each other. Right. I think like, you know? and I, I, I to- no, I totally, and it's like, and I think She Devil did a better job of that because She Devil mm-hmm. gives you kind of like the origin for both of the characters, so the Meryl Streep character and this character. Um, I do think though too, it is like I think you're a hundred percent. The movie would be a hundred percent better if you had like uh, more of an origin. Yeah, and like in the beginning is so weirdly rushed too. It yes. is like they like you, you do two flash forwards in like the first twelve minutes. Seven like, years, <laughs> or yeah, or like by the or fourteen years because it's like seven years and then seven years later. Yeah, and the second seven years later comes at the twelve minute point. It's also kind of a bit where they the title card is like another seven years or something like that. Like yeah. they they purposely oh, call it out like it's but a to joke. your point, that would have been a cool thing to see if like. Because again, like everyone was like in that songbird scene at the very beginning where they were like, there was one person as they were walking out of the movie, they were like, oh, she's being like raised from the dead. Like it would have been cool if Meryl's character was like, like a precocious style, style, oh my God, precocious child star or like, you know, uh, Sally Fields type who like got her start really young. So everyone knew what she looked like when she was really young and really beautiful. And then as she got older, maybe she was like trying to hang on to that fame and success and couldn't. But because we got none of that, I'm just sitting there thinking like, Meryl looks great. This play doesn't seem that bad. Why are these women friends? (laughs) That came up on the last episode of the the play does not seem disastrous. It seems fine. At I've seen all. worse things on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally, it's totally serviceable play. They probably should have done something to also to set the mood for how heightened the rest of the movie was by like, I, it's, it's a musical based off of Sweet Bird of Youth, the Tennessee Williams. Oh, that's interesting. And I was trying to figure out what it was. 
And they really should have, I mean, like, you almost want to go to, like, a producer's level yeah. place in, like, yeah. the play that she's yeah. in if you yeah. really want to hit that joke harder. Right. I think that that would have um, made it a little bit clearer because, like, it's not clear that she sucks. And it probably right. should be clear that she sucks in that yeah. open. And, you, boy, like, left a joke on the table, too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. They could have done, like, Watergate, the musical, you know? Yeah, uh, she's been- Nixon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like, I think that that, like, even, the, you know, I mean, not to, you know, we, we covered the prom a couple weeks ago mm. in our bonus episode, and the musical that they're doing was the FDR musical, uh, James yeah. Corden was playing FDR, uh. James Corden was FDR, and uh, Meryl Streep was Eleanor Roosevelt, and that's goofy, it's, yeah. it almost could be goofier, but at least that's goofier than what they do in Death becomes her. Which is like well, I was wondering, it's like, is the is the book you? Well, no, it's Tennessee Williams, so it's not like it was like a current. Like it almost would have been more interesting if they were trying to musicalize a, like a current event that was happening at the time, yeah, or something yeah. that people were happening talking about in like the nineties. I don't know, or I guess yeah, like late seventies, yeah, right. Yeah, I think like it's interesting. Like <laughs> I said, I watched this three times, and I why do, why do genuinely <laughs> think I have like. We are the first person we've had on who has not liked this movie. Yeah, it's a, it's really? the previous guest. The previous guest liked yeah, it. Yes, the previous like, guest liked, liked it. it. Yeah, and on everything is scary. <laughs> both Jed and Kyle liked it. And um, yeah. I think this is a movie where, if you think about it just a little below the surface, it really begins to show a lot of landmines. Yeah, uh, and I don't think I have actually. I think I've really, really treated it as this kind of like breezy cartoon each it's time right. out when I've watched it. Oh yeah, and that's like has led to my like enjoyment of like, and obviously like compared to Sophie's Choice and Kramer versus Kramer, it's like you're sitting around. <laughs> oh, I get to watch this. This is right. Fun. It's fun. I mean, I I have to say my own like. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's clear what my personal politics are just through like the opinions that you guys have heard me say, but like. Yeah. I think also the thing that makes Meryl so likable and such an icon is that she is very outspoken. She is a feminist. She speaks her mind. She doesn't like stand up for bullshit. So the fact that she's in this movie that is like, uh, like, and I get it. It's like 1990, 1991. It it was a different time. Opportunities for older. Here's the other thing too. She was 42 when she filmed this. Goldie Hawn was 47 when they filmed this movie or thereabouts. And they look incredible. But it's like the fact that like, I'm sure for them as women in their 40s, they probably weren't like the roles that they were getting um, offers for, you know, were I'm sure very different from what they were getting in their 30s and their 20s. Um, the fact that they weren't just like mothers or girlfriends, I'm sure that's what made this movie maybe exciting to them. But it, it's hard to see for me, hard to see a woman who I so closely associate with like, she's like a part of the charge and she's like helping like push things forward for women be in such a like regressive movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the thing that like hurts me the most. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, Meryl, you know better, like you deserve better. Like, I don't know. I, and mo- most of the time yeah. she, I think that one of the things that she does quite well in, in, most, in a great majority of her movies that becomes her excluded is that her 
her personal politics are reflected in most of the part in a, quite right. a few of the parts that she takes. Yeah. She doesn't play, she plays strong people yes. often with it. You know, even, you know, Miranda isn't necessarily nice, but she is strong and she is accomplished. Yeah. And she yeah. is, it, it, this goes to kind of a more controversial film, The Iron Lady, you know, mm. Margaret Thatcher is, yeah, not good. We can all agree, like, <laughs> yeah, terrible, like was, ter- was a terrible person, and that's what makes that movie, you know, complicated in some pretty difficult ways. Is right. the kind of like because I think Meryl Streep had a lot of it in mind that, you know, for all of her terrible politics, this was a person who rose up to a spot that no woman had been in before right. and really dominated that position. And was a world, a true world leader, and tr- truly changed that part of the world, which is impressive. Well, I, th- I think uh, that's the thing too that I find really interesting. I think the difference as an actor, like we see good actors in bad movies all the time, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the reason for that, at least the motivation of wanting to be in the movie, is recognizing like oh, this role is interesting to me and this role is a challenge to me. And I, I, I don't think Meryl was bad in this movie. Like I actually, I like her performance. I think that she's good at playing like women on the verge. Um, and for me, it's fun to see Meryl play a sort of like bitchy, you know, housewife of wherever, wherever type character. Like that's, that I think, I think if, if there is one thing that I really enjoyed about the movie, it is the fact that you're seeing her be someone horrible mm-hmm. who you know she isn't. So like that, I guess that's like, yes, she is a good actress. <laughs> yeah, cause I was gonna say too, like that was like the thing I remember like watching this in the previous, like the, for the previous episode, like that was like, this movie felt like such a breath of fresh air at the time because mm-hmm. we had just watched all these movies where she's playing like, like you know, sobbing. a victim yeah. or a nice, yeah, the nice lady or the the supporting best friend, like, you know, those sort of roles or, you know, Julia Child. And mm-hmm. it was right. nice to see her like an angel or a saint, that type of character. And it was so nice to see like, just a full on unhinged, like crazy, <laughs> like Looney Tune, I'm gonna hit you over the head with a sledgehammer like that level of insanity. Like it was very, I don't know. And like, in something that like, wasn't like also, like, I think this film juxtaposed to all the previous films we watched. Uh, it's just so like cartoony. And like the only other movie I can think of that's more cartoony than this one is probably Mamma Mia. Yeah. That's probably in a different the only, way. In a, different in, way. In, a, in a very different way. Very different I mean, way. yeah, I guess for me, the fun thing was seeing her be like sexy and vampy and, um, insane um but yeah it was hard for me because there are lots of movies that I can watch and just like turn my brain off like to me I I don't you know like there are certain movies you watch for comfort and for just pure sheer enjoyment Mm -hmm. but for this it was just there were too many glaring things that didn't make sense and too many unmotivated things for these characters that just really I don't know. Uh, and again, it's like I was I watched it specifically. I was like, okay, just ignore everything else. Just watch <laughs> Meryl. You know what yeah, I mean? And even that, Meryl. I was like, ah, yeah. yeah. This is it's like, so why hard. is she? I don't know why she's doing this. Yeah. She looked think, incredible though. Her hair, her face, her bod, incredible. Yeah. This one, this one, it 
this movie, um, pretty similar time period too, to She Devil and uh, Defending Your Life. Mm. And uh, this was a time where she had, um, she'd obviously already won two Academy Awards by the time that this movie came out. And she spent most of the early 70s through the 1980s doing, you know, The French Lieutenant's Woman, Silkwood, these very like, Weighty, weighty films and yeah. critics in particular what i guess i've read is uh pauline kale of all people was quite hard on her as being kind of like this technically robotic very like rigid serious actor which i don't mm. believe to be true but a lot of people were saying that she and i think that she made a very conscious decision to take on these type roles toward the late 80s early 90s to kind of show off a different side show off like a comedic so, uh, and probably chops. just to like have fun on set yeah like, there's only so many movies you can do where you're like every day on the call sheet you're like oh another crying scene mm-hmm. yeah. i'm sure it was like she needed a break but that the thing you said about Polly and kale i mean that's like that's upsetting to me too because like do we look at actors who are her male contemporaries and just say oh they're technically proficient but they make me feel nothing like is that like that just seems so, that in itself seems like weirdly sexist and like it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't see people like you know you could probably. I mean, but, but there are people I bet who could make that same argument. Not saying it's true, but you could probably make that same argument for Daniel Day Lewis, especially like yeah, early, early, yeah. early Daniel, when he's like my left foot and stuff like right. that, where it's like it's that's all. I feel like that's more technical than anything. Like it's still e- great. E- even more recent comparison, Christian Bale. You oh, make yeah. that argument yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even oh. though I think all three of them are awesome. I'm not, you know, oh, I love no, all no, of slap. them. They're slappers. Yeah. But like, yeah, you could like, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's because, um, you know, we talked, we've talked about it before. Her male contemporaries in the seventies all came out of kind of this tortured method school of acting yes. where it was like a lot of, um, a lot of like real, like, fur, like fair, almost like a feral style. Yeah. And yeah. she has like called that out on numerous times. She thinks that style is kind of bullshit. Yeah. It's actually it's funny that you say that because I actually feel like a lot of the roles that I've seen her in whether or not she's a method actress like she really um is able to embody whether her character is going through like a divorce or a bad marriage or she you know getting syphilis you know what I mean like yeah. she's I, I think she harnesses that similar energy. It's just that men get celebrated for it. Yeah. Men get yeah. celebrated for the like, I lived in the woods for four months and like wore a smaller shoe on this one thing. I got <laughs> syphilis. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and she see, yeah. And her entire mindset is like, I'm going to come in. I'm going to be a true pro. I'm going to do the work. And I know she, in the book I read, they said she takes a lot from kind of her life experience, not her necessarily internalized life experiences, but like, what she's seen from other people. She's got a, obviously as a co-star, we see this as how giving she is to right. the people around her. She picks up on what she sees from like her aunts or people she meets at work or whatever. And she can kind of bridge that over to kind of a, an understanding. She doesn't need to like get her taxi cab driver's license and p- actually pick right. up people like right. to do taxi driver or something like that. She does not, she, and she apparently by all accounts, like, it's one of those actors who's laughing and have and having a cup of tea or whatever and enjoy it. And then boom, she's crying. Right. And then the second cut is called boom, she's back to, you know, they, they almost think 
people who've worked with her say it's it's like a magic trick. Right. How quickly she turns it on and she doesn't need this whole like, you know, God bless Daniel Day Lewis, but like, you know, on the set of my left foot, he was in a wheelchair when he was right. off camera and he made people push him right up to right. the set, yeah. which is, you know, whatever works for you, man, it worked. But you know, yeah. but I wonder too if that's like uh to your point of like she's always sort of like overshadowed by her male co-stars it it it, it's not surprising to me to hear that she sets such a nice tone on set like I do think like the director at least in movies the director and like number one on the call sheet like those are the people setting the tone and it it wouldn't shock me to learn that if like in all of her experiences on films especially in her in the earlier part of her career where she has been on set with so many people who I would characterize as difficult like and she's just like you know what I don't want to do that you know what I mean like I want to come to work I want to like my colleagues I want them to like me I want to have a good time we're this isn't rocket science this isn't we're not curing cancer yeah you know what I mean like I think that and that's the thing that I think draws us to Meryl Streep because there is a that combination of being so good at what she does, but also seemingly not taking herself too seriously. Like all of the men you mentioned, it's like these, like, yeah, they're handsome. Yeah, they're talented, but like, whoo, I bet you they're not fun to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if, you, if you're like, if you're living, it's like they're a not, toddler. They're not, they're not rocking out at their son's concert at the Mercury Theater. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're like, yeah, if you decide to live your life as a cobbler in Italy for like a few years or become a, a boxer or whatever, yeah, probably not a, yeah, probably not a cool uh, hang. Although maybe, I don't know. I don't know. At least it's some fun that stories actually about goes back the, That actually goes back to our conversation, though, about like almost like whiplash or like the, or Steve Jobs. It's this idea of this man who is psychotically over the top. <laughs> and how hard and how hard they're like going for whatever their goal is even if that isn't necessarily going to change you know it's not going to solve world hunger <laughs> but right. uh right. and the fact that she seems to be she's so technically sound which is not a bad i don't say that in a negative sense but she seems to do it effortlessly yes comparably like but Daniel Day-Lewis, God bless him, you do see the seams you of the work. You see the gears turning. Yeah. yeah. And you watch Devil Wears Prada and she's just there, she's present, just, doing the character. Yeah. She understands the character, takes care of business, then she's home sculpting with Gummer. And <laughs> God bless. Yeah. We should, and, we should all be so lucky. No, I mean, she lives a wonderful life and you know I, the book I read about her is kind of about her young life and it goes through Kramer versus Kramer mm-hmm. and it seems like she's just been very like she's smart and she's confident but she's just has been very like she's kind of sees through bullshit mm-hmm. very very well and has just a very clear cut concept of what needs to get done I mean I we shared that story in the, the backflip story uh, you remember that one, Patrick? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. This, so she shows up to Yale drama, like her first week there. They have to do this like physical class. And they're like looking around and then the instructor's like, well, we could try this. And she tries a backflip. Mm-hmm. And on her first time, she nails it. Ah, Perfectly. And she bounces out of it. She's like, wow, I didn't know. Like, it's just kind of this like, she's so confident and there's no like doubt. Right. 
and she does uh, not have so many doubts. There's another callback. Yeah, no doubts, um, no doubts. <laughs> but it, it, I think like, and I think that's what makes her easy to kind of, weirdly enough for someone who's the most celebrated actor of her generation of awards, why I know all this, to underestimate. I wonder if that's something that intimidates a lot of other people. Like it, um, I, I feel like if she is as effortless and gracious and like elegant with how she is in her craft, I would not be surprised to hear that that would make people nervous and intimidated. It's like, what they said about her Yale classmates. They said mm, she scared the shit out of them almost mm, immediately. And it began within like a week and a half her class was Meryl Streep's class. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would be intimidated by someone just doing a backflip on their first no go. No shit! That like, would I've be... never done a backflip before? Do you do oh. a great backflip? That's just no, yeah. terrifying. The only, the only, uh, yeah, like, I, there's only two backflip stories. I, it's like that one, I think Chris Farley used to do backflips a lot. And that <laughs> yeah. would, like, surprise well, me. Another, another truly intimidating talent. I mean, I heard this wonderful story from Bob Odenkirk the other day, not to get too off track. He was <laughs> talking about, friends. like, yeah, great friend Bob. I've been in the yeah. same room as him. But, uh, uh, Kirk. But, uh, he went to UCB. We all have. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. He was my two. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he glared at me, but I don't know. But uh, no, but he told the story about uh, his daughter. One of his kids asked him, like, oh, "What's the funniest thing you've ever seen?" And he goes, and he wrote the original uh, Matt Foley motivational speaker sketch mm. for Second City. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "I got to watch Chris Farley." do that every night for like nine months and every night it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life and it was just like for someone as funny and talented as Bob Odenkirk to be like no this guy right was so funny I mean like and you hear that about like some of these people who just have something like you see it in improv all the time like every like one of your classes that we've ever taken there's oh, always yeah. one person in the class you're like oh you're like holy shit they're, Why they're am good I here? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like they like I remember like I had in my forward class we had a guy who like our teacher was like you're built in kind of the mold that like comes out in your body type and just the way you move is a comedy person's like type and he was right you know like Jim Carrey kind of mold like that like kind of lanky you know the way you move and stuff like that physicality yeah yeah and it's like you can't learn that just it's there and obviously like I think Meryl Streep because she does it in such a like easygoing like no big deal kind of manner that I think you're absolutely right that can be intimidating uh but we should probably move on (laughs) we got off quite a bit from Jesse comes here but that's okay I hope it's fun um any last thoughts on Death Becomes Her it was a little more very interesting conversation yeah, I mean, I will say that, like, uh, it is, like, one of those movies, it's almost, like, I'd almost, it, I would almost compare it to, like, Five Guys. This is going to be weird. Now, you, you brought up Greasy, and so I thought Five Guys, where it's, like, Five Guys, I love love Five Guys. It's a greasy, delicious burger, you know, those, that disgusting amount of fries, like, I always <laughs> like it. But then, but then, like, it's, like, one of those things, too, though, where, like, if you just go a little further, if you think about it a little more, it's yeah. like, oh shit, this is it. like 3,000 calories that I'm about yeah. to eat. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't good meat, probably. Like, there's, like, there's yeah, probably a lot of issues. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> you don't want to reflect on it at all. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. You just want to eat it and like, oh, that was nice, and then not 
really not think about that you just ate that burger. Yeah, and that you're gonna like, yeah, feel really bad for like the next four hours or twelve yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I think um this is definitely like I would put this conversation up there with the out of Africa conversation we had with oh, Graham yeah. High. That uh, is high praise. Graham someone is coming and very smart. Yes, he yeah, is he's a, he's a wise boy. Yeah. And just kind of someone coming in and like really like changing my opinion. Yes. Frankly. Honestly, you did, yeah, same. Oh my God. I thank uh, you. Uh, what an honor. Uh, gold cha- changing Don's opinion. If you're counting at home, that's two. Yep. Um yeah, I think that Patrick, your burger analogy is absolutely right on this one. And I think much like my taste in going to I'm gonna use Taco Bell for this one. I'm not as regular <laughs> at five guys, but yeah. I do go to Taco Bell. It's this concept of like did I just crush three CGCs? Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, is that yeah. Not, is that a thing I want to think about? Is that yeah? You know, is it something I want to tell my doctor about? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. And it's like in the moment that it's like yeah, that I'll probably after this get further away and just be thinking about the scene with Sidney Pollock and laughing and be like, no, 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 Don. There's some unhealthy stuff happening in death becomes or that you need to remain aware of because I think that's important and I think that 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 happens in Robert Zemeckis movies I mean like I've always been very like I was pretty hip to in the even in the mid 90s to the real conservative undertones of Forrest Gump and I thought that was a very quick thing to me and it's it's I think that that's a neat movie in a lot of cases too but i think like he does like punish jenny for being a hippie and give her oh, aids yeah. I, oh like, my god i even as a child i was like what did this woman do to deserve this yeah my god. he's got a real like anti-hippie anti-left yeah thing that's happening there he he he, he is like he can he has like a regressive streak and he has a horny streak and that's like (laughs) that's potent when he makes those two it can be and i think there's you see a little bit of both those streaks in death becomes her and it's like you're only allowed so many streaks yeah i mean you know thank god he at least has bruce willis running down the hall like elmer fudd which can you know make us laugh but Uh, i think that there is thank you christina for bringing up some of the dark side you know it had been missed in previous conversations i have to say especially i mean it's one thing to talk about movies amongst your friends not for a podcast i was a little um i don't know uh i don't want to say like self-conscious but like i was aware of the fact that i was going to come on to this your show and basically like scream about how every way this movie was like a completely like misogynist sexist like nightmare um and I was like well it might be a fun conversation or it might not but like I think that's the thing I think like we're I think we're for me at least I'm past the idea um or I'm I'm so far past the concept of like trying to separate like the artist from their work in terms of like their personal life and their views and their the things that they make because to me they're so inextricably linked Mm. that like and and considering everything that like you believe to be like uh important and like politically good and like i don't know um helpful to like 
move society forward. It, yeah, it, it's, it's hard. It was hard for me to not just sit back and like allow it to wash over me in the way that like maybe I let rom-coms wash over me and like rom-coms can be just as problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like between the sort of like total lack of um, attempt at any sort of character development between that and just like the garishness of it like the that whole when you see her fall down the stairs i was just like it was so gratuitous in a way like and it's like i i guess you can make the argument that it's like you need to see her body so destroyed so that when she comes back to life it's like shocking but like the movie is called death becomes her you've seen the trailer you know what's gonna happen it's like things like that it's just like I bet you these guys had a lot of fucking fun on set and it's just like to what end like yeah yeah I don't know uh, oh I do want to give big ups though to the sound designers for that fall down the stairs they did oh, a terrific job of making it really really <laughs> gross it was it was really nice work yeah um, it's very it's like crunchy and squishy I would yeah. say lots of like celery stalks and like yeah. in bags just top of the top notch stuff you've seen uh yeah our, our friend Albert Brooks's film Modern Romance they have a wonderful scene with all of the sound designers that re- reminded me of this. Uh, yeah, Albert, if you want to come on the show and talk uh, defending your life, we'd love love to have you. Like, oh, please. If you're, if you're listening, I, I, I assume you are. Uh, we'd love you. Um, oh, yeah. The, the, uh, the so, ghost of Rip Torn, also welcome. Oh, hell yeah, he is. <laughs> yes. uh, and, and fuck Henry. Like, oh. we can have a ghost party. It's a, it's oh, totally. Yeah. And Rip Torn, definitely a ghost. Definitely haunting somewhere. That dude... Also, um, a previous winner of the Stanley Tucci Most Valuable Supporting Player Award the, oh, that yeah. week, if what, I recall correctly. Yeah, and so, a solid Tucci. Uh, using that as our transition, because if anyone knows <laughs> me for anything, it's transitions. It's, um, let's get to the Tucci for yeah. this week. Uh, Christina... Uh, this is our award for non-Meryl Streep <laughs> favorite performance of the week to assist <laughs> and support in a Meryl Streep film. Uh, Patrick, do you want to go first? Yes. Uh, man, uh, Willis is good in this. And you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it to uh, I think I have to give it to the the, 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 um, the performance that, I, that grew on me the most though between uh, both these films, I would have to say is uh, Emily Blunt. Second that. Perfect. Like that that yeah. was like Tucci such winner. a, yeah, that was a great, and Tucci's wonderful too. Like, you know, it's his award. It's a, he's like, he's he's the lifetime Tucci, but like, man, <laughs> Emily Blunt, like, and this is like, I feel like this is like uh, her first big it's, like role, right? It's yeah. her breakthrough performance. Oh, yeah. it's so, yeah. and it's so She's good. Great. Yeah, it's like, man, what a great, and I'm, it's so funny because I think about like a lot of like, even in movies she stars in, like, I think she has more to do in this movie than she did in Sicario. I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. We Sicario could, we could... was just a lot of, like, sweating and hiding and, like, looking through, like, windows. We, we, can, have, we can do it. We can do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll we do, can do a, a sideshow. I'm, I'm a Sicario head. Oh, so, I, I love uh, me some Sicario. Don't get me wrong. I just, it's a great yes, movie. She's, I think, how about this? She's yeah. great in both. She's great. That's yes. fair. That's fair. There we go. No, she slaps in Sicario yeah. too. She's a slapper. And I'm yep. hey, I'm a I'm a Denis Villeneuve. I don't know how to yes. pronounce that. Yes. I love I love me we some love Denis love Villeneuve. So good. <laughs> We're gonna be seeing. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm willing to risk COVID yeah. for, for you, Dune? Denny. For Dune. Send me oh, in. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. We it's we we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Herbert's hunks hashtag. It's a up and crumbing hashtag. All, <laughs> we 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 just talked about all the hunks oh, that are in the Dune movie. Go on. I talked about this for hours. Top to bottom, hunk city and just, just like Frank Herbert, author of Dune imagined it when he wrote it down just hunk city just oh hunk, yeah e-town but, usa but, but Tista, i'm there timothy and like big hunks and little hunks big hunks and little hunks. Yeah. Yeah. i yeah. can't yeah. wait yeah chalamet like i can fit him in <laughs> yeah. my damn i can fit him in my damn pocket he's a pocket-sized hunk keep fighting we're gonna risk covid and see it in the arc light dome yeah. at some point point. <laughs> <So>. and, <laughs> and you know what as they put the ventilator through my asap i'm gonna be grinning worth it baby it was worth it as all as right as- uh christina <laughs> who yeah uh, do you have emily blunt as your stanley tucci i also have week? emily blunt i mean she's again like she is someone we are not supposed to like but she manages to make her, her character so a funny b you like under you feel the stress you understand why she's so high strung and i don't know it just everything about her like the clothes and her makeup and just her she really embodied that like harried first assistant where like you can't get anything right you have to do everything perfectly you have to see everything like 50 yards into the future like she was great i loved her one amazing movie thing they did with her too is like the makeup is so in character but it also helps her eyes which her like every movie star has the most and best expressive eyes yeah and so she gives you so much and the fact that they've like literally painted targets around her <laughs> eyes to like draw like that's the first image that you go to when you see her it's like in that last scene even where she's like she gives her the dress the clothes mm. from paris and you can see all of the emotions crossing her face yeah at that gesture it's it really is she's it's great. a really terrific performance it's, it's very clear why she popped yeah after making this film um i'm gonna be quick i'm giving it to stanley tucci I think he's awesome. Delight. He's he's so great in this. He's a three-time Tucci Award winner, <laughs> and you know what an honor. Hey, but you know what? I predict he might not. That might not be his last Tucci. Yeah. <laughs> there are more Tucci's to come. More Tucci's to come. Julian Julia, Devil Wears Prada. What else has he been in with Meryl? So these these are his two. We gotta get him a third. Yeah, gotta okay. get him a third we want to see him do it again just like we want our man kevin klein to get a third oh yeah uh third role with meryl because he they are so good together as well and again meryl the co-star we praised it we'll praise it again like yeah does he I just wonderful i feel like the most recent thing i've seen kevin klein is he's a character on bob's burgers yes oh yeah he's, um, yeah. Mr. Mr. Fish Fish yeah, yeah he's wonderful but you don't you don't have to leave bed to do that, you know. No. It's a very easy thing to no. record. He's uh my beloved hashtag justice for Ricky, Ricky in the Flash. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen Ricky in the Flash. I need to see it. We might be me, me, Patrick, and our guest from that episode, Blake Wilding, maybe the only people. But um yeah, I, I like it. I think mm-hmm. I think it's I like it a lot. And Kevin Klein plays her ex-husband in it. Mm. And they especially after their really intense work together in Sophie's Choice. To see them older and at ease together and just kind of having these like down to earth roles together right. and like you feel their history as actors because they both came out kind of at this as they were the hot new york you know he was at a juilliard she was mm. out of yale 
kind of the hot New York stage actors of that time period to see them kind of like, I wish they had done, like we talked about it before. It would have been so neat to see Kevin Klein play the Bruce Willis role in death becomes her to see them at a middle age kind of at middle age together. I honestly think that would have made more sense because he like when you, when I think of Bruce Willis, I just don't think of like a, a surgeon or well, (laughs) yeah. I don't think of a surgeon, but I also just don't think of like impotent, bumbling. Yeah. Like if uh, he was really going to go there, I don't know. Yeah, Kevin Klein makes more sense. I love how committed Bruce is to the part yeah. though. He never shows like he was coming off of Die Hard 2. Wow. The movie, the movie that was released right before this one for him was The Last Boy Scout. I mean, oh, like, wow. uh, like he really, really commits to it. And I, I got to commend him for trying and really going for playing like this fuddy-duddy character. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's, I mean, it sucks that this is a movie based ostensibly with two female leads. It's supposed to be female-driven. And Bruce gets the, mo- the kind of the best part. Yeah. It's just so like, but well, it, clearly moralistic in yeah. that like, but through like a male, very, uh, male lens i don't know what am i trying to it say was, it was a very 90s thing though this like accusations about plastic surgery and stuff right. like that like because think, p.s a lot of male stars also get work done it's just tons that of them. no one talks about that yeah oh, yeah, yeah. And, and and sometimes it or not more than sometimes it is quite obvious mm-hmm. <laughs> we yeah. won't name names we're not going to name names but you could i'm sure you have a list in your head <laughs> <laughs> So I think, why don't we jump into our final, we'll see who's moving on, who's playing the juggernaut, Sophie's Choice, in the next round. A movie no one likes, but everyone agrees, (laughs) Meryl Streep is really fucking good in. (laughs) Right, it's like, it's it's not even like, do I like it or not, it's just like, it is a good movie, it is about something very sad. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very serious film. Uh, Patrick, why don't you lead off? Okay, here we go. I'm going to say this. Uh, Death Becomes Her, Meryl Streep does, like, as she's, if you're just looking at her performance, she is great in the movie. I do think that she, and it's like a rare, it's a rare Streep. Like, we don't see mm. unhinged Streep as much. And I do love having, like, that, like, chaos element that, like, I don't know, seeing the side of Streep that you don't usually get to see, it's like a treat in that regard. Like, I just, uh, you know, especially when you're comparing it to something as dour as, uh, you know, uh, Sophie's Choice or something as uh, uh, as self-serious as Out of Africa. Uh, you know, it's nice to see something that doesn't treat itself as seriously. And it's nice to see, and I think there is, like, a level of range to her lunacy, too, in it. Like, you know, you see her as, like, happy loony, you see her as sad loony, mad loony. Like, you get, like, like the full Looney Tune piano, every chord gets played uh, <laughs> on the Looney scale. Uh, but then, like, uh, it's so funny watching uh, Devil Wears Prada. I wasn't like, you know, she was great in it, but I didn't remember her being as great as she was uh, when I saw it last. Like, I watched it last night, and uh, just you know what? It's just it's probably like the she shows like while. 
Meryl shows range on one level and death becomes her. Like she shows the complete range of lunacy, like where you can take lunacy in terms of like, you know, which, which directions you can go emotionally. Uh, you know, Devil Wears Prada does that with like a real human being. Like it's actually, and she, <laughs> show, and she actually shows like true range in that movie. Yeah. And so uh, I, 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 yeah, I have to give it to Devil Wears Prada because it is like it might be this actually might be my one to beat right now I think any although I do need to watch you know I still need to rewatch uh, Iron Lady and that's the that's the struggle with this podcast man is like <laughs> Iron Lady like it's a movie I don't like that much but she gets to do fucking everything in it like that was a movie designed in a lab so she could get an Oscar and so like it's it'll be interesting like moving forward uh, and you know, and you can say a similar thing about you know Sophie's Choice. Not nearly as designed, but she also gets to like do all these different things and that. So like, I don't know. I'm just I'm excited to see. I don't know. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I have to go Devil's Worst Prada on this one. Just like yeah, like one of the great one of the great performances. Like you know, it, it should be if it's not on one of those dumb AFI like top ten villains of all time. <laughs> let, let her on it. Like yeah, she's up there with fucking Saruman or whatever hog shit they put on those lists. <laughs> AFI, put her on the list. Put her on the list, AFI. Come on, AFI. Come on, you you, you, you hot dogs. Let's <laughs> uh, one vote for Devil Wears Prada. Um, yeah, I think. I don't, the sample size is not incredibly large. I think that becomes her might be Meryl's finest pure comedy performance. Yeah. Just in her physical comedy, joke telling, like broad performance. I really, really, I think she's, I like it, you know, I setting aside the iffy at the very best politics or social message of death of death becomes her i think that it, i do still find quite a bit of the jokes quite funny like out of context i guess um and i think there's a part of me frankly if we're being honest i think we're all you know people are expecting kind of you know to really get to know us yeah on this show um there's a part of me that was very wary of kind of going chalk as they would say if this was a sports bracket of like seeing like Sophie's Choice, Devil Wars, like yeah. all of like the big names, kind of like, just like, that's yeah. that. Those, the, like, we, no surprises. Like, we, we come out of this tournament and it's like, oh, there was no real surprise. It's like uh, the movies she won the Oscars for, the movies she remembers for are the best ones. And I think that there's mm-hmm. kind of maybe the, um, the, the, you know, the, the, per, the part of me that wants to like see something different hat or not like kind of go with the flow or like not just like, you know, go with the go with kind of the general opinion. There, you know, it's it's like I've always been one of those people who it's like, oh, the second your favorite band gets popular, I'm not interested in them anymore. <laughs> Feel that energy. And, yeah, and so I think like, yeah, like an anti-conformist kind of feeling. And so there's a part of me that really, before we came in today, was like. God, am I going to pick Death Becomes Her just to be kind of a stinker almost? <laughs> I felt that too. You know? I feel you. <laughs> and, and I like, and I, you know, I, I know I like Death Becomes Her more than, you know, Christina does, for instance. Uh, and uh, probably more than other people do. I've seen it a handful of times and I laughed more last night than I did the first time. But um, I watched them back to back. Irregardless, actually, of 
just kind of thinking clearly and irregardless of this, the social message of either one of the films or kind of the interesting conversation we've had, you know, the first thing I think I said today was I thought I'm really, really interested in Miranda Mm -hmm. this time around more than ever before. Mm -hmm. My cat is eating our printer. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let me, let me toss something that way. But, um, so I was really like dialed in on Miranda this time around and just mm-hmm. all of the nuance, all of like, she's doing so much with this part. And it, it is like, you know, if you remember the office episode where Michael was watching this movie in parts and he, kept, <laughs> and he comes in at the end, he goes, sorry about how I treated you. I did not realize Meryl Streep was the bad guy. <laughs> and, you know, co- color me Michael Scott because I get tricked as well because it does go into so many different directions. Uh, I just think this is a phenomenal performance. I think it's very justified all of the um, praise it's given, kind of the iconic status that it has received. So I am going Devil Wears Prada as well. Nice. So Christina, you're up. Well, I, you know, I, I actually thought about this a lot because if, you know, I'm a rule follower. And <laughs> we're not judging the film. We're judging the performance. And so I've uh, struggled a little bit with how I could like synthesize my answer and the way that I figured it out was actually opposite of Patrick I feel like the work that I'm most familiar with uh, in Meryl Streep's like body of work is when you've seen her do more comedic things so like I've seen like it's complicated many times I've seen Mamma Mia obviously many times uh, Devil Wears Prada um, and even I mean, earlier, but like Heartburn in which he's playing these characters who they're all sort of like losing it in a different way. And some of them are for very sad reasons and other of them, other of them, others are for very like fun, joyous reasons. Um, so for me, when I'm thinking about Death Becomes Her right next to Devil Wears Prada, I broke it down by basically thinking like, okay, she's technically kind of playing a one dimensional character in both or like a very thinly um thinly drawn character um and in one movie where it makes sense that we don't know a lot about her in the other movie it makes less sense that we don't know a lot about her so if i'm putting those two roles side by side in which she's playing an outsized character and caricature of a type of person that we all know I'm also going to have to give it to Devil Wears Prada because I think the humanity she imbues in Miranda Priestly, it just blows uh, Madeline like totally out of the water. And like, you're right. Like I did love that scene where she called Bruce Willis like a flaccid whatever. Like that was, uh, that was the most fun I had in that movie (laughs) of her (laughs) insulting Bruce Willis. But even then it like it, to me, I was like, why did she marry him? Why did she like him? How does his career, you like, what, like, how did they get to this place? And maybe if we saw in the movie how they had gone from like Randy newlyweds to where they were in 1991, I think that would have helped her performance. But because we don't see any of that, what, and what we do see is just sort of like a grotesque caricature of a vain woman. 
I at least, I don't like Miranda Priestly, but I at least understand who she is. I understand why she is. And I understand, you know, that even though she's like made all of her employees' lives like miserable, living hell, it, it's at least motivated and um, like emotional. So Devil Wears Prada all the way. Yeah. Here we go. There you go. Devil Wears Prada, another juggernaut will take on in just a few short weeks. Sophie's I do not envy choice. whoever is going to watch that right next to Sophie's Choice. <laughs> Oh, guest, the guest has not been scheduled yet, but congratulations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, Devil Wears Prada moves on from the taking the, the comedy division, moving on to the final four. All right, we have we are running long, but we're going to keep plugging away. Hopefully, someone is still listening somewhere out there because um, <laughs> we've had some really, really nuanced, really wonderful talk here. Um, but we're going to move on to today. So, Christina. We know, you know, you're, you're in the television biz <laughs> and much like our guest last week, Marcelina, you've been making your way up. Yep. You have been made the CEO of mm-hmm. Creative Decisions at Netflix. Move oh, over, boy. move over Ted Sarandos. Yeah, get the hell out of here. <laughs> move over. Yeah, go, go yeah. to your uh, compound. You probably yeah. have a compound. Uh, why don't you uh, uh, apply to unemployment because you're out of a job. Yeah, um, move to Jackson Hole. Yeah, and you have been given the remake rights. Okay, Death Becomes Her, a movie you feel is troubling, and you're going to send in some, at least one writer to really do sure. a makeover on it. You know, because at, at its core, you you feel like, oh, there there's something we could probably <laughs> make into a movie here. Yeah, but a remake done right we're gonna get it right this time yeah (laughs) we're getting it right and all of hollywood all the big actors Mm -hmm. are running around hollywood and they're coming to us we're out you've hired patrick and i to be part of your boardroom team naturally um yeah all the big actors like we got to get in this death becomes a remake who are we casting in the three leads of death becomes her in this week's this week's edition of um hot intellectual property so i have a a radical pitch for a death becomes her remake which is what if a death becomes her remake was actually about the isabella rossellini character because yeah. she's the most interesting person in that movie oh yeah first how, time she where is she from <laughs> how does she have this like seemingly unending uh access to the literal fountain of youth the potion uh, who are all of those like beefy guys with her? Mm-hmm. How did she get to LA? Like, I, I think I would, if I had to, would frame a Death Becomes Her remake around her because she's actually set up a lot of stakes around like, you need to keep this a secret. You need to like, in the 10 years, you need to like, you know, leave the public eye. You can't let people know that you are basically going to live forever. Like, I think by having her be the main character and then having Goldie Hawn, Meryl, the Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn and Bruce uh, Willis characters sort of like fuck up her life mm. or at least try to and like, you know, make the stakes higher. That would be really fun. Now, who would I cast? Great question. Um, I would want to make the movie more diverse. I don't know if I have any like specific names, but I feel like 
I don't know. I, there's part of me that would want to put like a, in at least one of the roles of either Meryl or Goldie. Well, I guess Meryl, like she would be like, like, I don't understand this world, but it wouldn't, it would make sense if she was like an Instagram star, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if she's like an aging Instagram star (laughs) or like, or someone who looked like, you know, we can like make them look like that or maybe like kim kardashian not that i think that she's a good actress but like that type where it's like the public knew her young yeah we've seen her transform we've seen these people utilize butt implants you know plastic surgery botox all that stuff uh i think that would be interesting um i like it's hard for me to think of people off the top of my head but that's that's what i would pitch if I got Ted Sarandos' job. <laughs> rock, rock solid pitch. I can almost see that as a series. Right? I yeah. think it's really fun. Oh, it could work. It would work. It would slap. Um, my pitch, I just kept thinking about a um, gender swap. Ah, in I was thinking yes, that too. I was thinking that, that would too. be great. You get a couple, and I, I think you, you get to pick between one of the four Chris's. Two Ooh. of the four Chris's to play the Meryl oh, Streep and yeah. or all four of them. Let's go big. Yeah. And then you get like, let's say Emma Stone to play the Bruce Willis part. Ooh. Or someone with a little bit of comedic shops who could be exasperated at these himbos. Oh. Himbos. Hear me out. Hear of. me. And it, they're easier to make fun of, and the Chris's can kind of go wild in their um <laughs> I, I think I think Pine and Evans. Oh, I was gonna go Hemsworth Evans. Okay. I think Hemsworth Pine. I think that's the. I'd take them all. Take them all. Yeah. I think it'd be funny if it was <laughs> all of them. Like the ultimate. Here's here. That's my Avengers. Make them all a bunch of dipshits. <laughs> yeah. Like vain dipshits. Uh, yeah. Uh, see, and then I, at the end, it would make so much more sense that all Emma Stone or whoever needed to do is leave these assholes behind, and then she could have a wonderful, fulfilling life. Right, right. Like, you would buy it more. It's like, oh, the second this wonderful, smart surgeon leaves these vain himbos behind, <laughs> she could have... I just like hearing tr- you say the word himbos. <laughs> yeah, I like that word a lot. I, I heard... <laughs> I heard David Fincher on the commentary for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo refer to Daniel Craig's character as a himbo. I and it. I always thought that was the funniest like, <laughs> to call his own character, his leading character. He's kind of a himbo dip, like dipshit who just falls into bed with people and he needs all these women to kind of help him solve the crime. He doesn't really do anything throughout right. this movie. Right. And I was like, I like the honesty from Fincher about his male leading character. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, Patrick? Oh man, because I was gonna say I had the same idea, but it would be like so instead of the Chris's, I was thinking it'd be like The Rock and John Cena, oh, and yeah. they're both like <laughs> pro wrestlers or like they're bodybuilders that they've they've they've, they've wasted the like, steroids and fucked them up completely. Yeah, and then, oh, that's good. And, and then like the the Isabella Rossellini role, you give that to Benedict Cumberbatch, who's like <laughs> oh. this weird like ethereal. Kind of yeah, like, like a like almost like Bowie. Oh yeah, yeah, and he, yeah very Bowie. He's dressed, yeah, dressed just dressed like Bowie yeah. in Labyrinth. <laughs> Has like a, a lion like skin think, on him or something. You know, yeah. That gives you a thought that Tilda Swinton would knock it out of the park. Ooh. Who would play in that part? Oh, yes. that, would, 
That'd be good. And then, like, see, I was thinking, like, and then for the lady, I was thinking Amy Adams would rock it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, like yeah. an Amy Adams where she's just, like, you know, she's a little meek a little bit, but then in the move, by the end of the movie, she's like, fuck you, God, the shit sucks. Oh, man. See, that's like, it's, yeah, give me... This potion, it's no good, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, her academy. She's going to finally win her Academy Award for our insane Death Becomes Her remake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for our miniseries, for our Death Becomes yeah. Her remake. If you thought it was silly that Al Pacino got his Makeup Academy Award for Scent of a Woman, we got another thing coming for you. Oh, yeah. oh my God, that's right. Wow. There's a lot of those, though. We could go down oh, the line on terms of Makeup oh, yeah. Academy Awards. <laughs> I mean, they gave one to freaking Alan Arkin for uh, Little Miss Sunshine? Was that he's, it? He's, he's good in it. it it's, yeah. You want makeup yeah, in that's that? fair. No, he's good in it. <laughs> Oh, have, I know. I was have, like, yeah, he's great, and I love him. He may have, he may have, he may have worn makeup. Yeah, <laughs> he had to have worn makeup. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pretty old already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they should. Remember. I can just picture him on second. You want? You want to make me older? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, he's uh, good. Yeah, I, I think. think um, I mean, yet again, another episode of the Academy Academy where we're like going to end it with pretty much saying Netflix, give us a damn call. I mean, we're. <laughs> yeah. we're these are ideas. You're just getting ideas for free on right. our show. Like, yeah, these are top-notch Hollywood ideas. www.hollywoodideas.com. Check them out. We're like butchers with fine cuts of meat, and then yeah. you throw it in the garbage and go to freaking McDonald's? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to Five Guys. You're going and to you're Five re- Guys. You're, you're regretting it just as much as we are. Yeah. Take our Take our fine cuts. Yeah, take our fine cuts. <laughs> Please. Wow. What a, okay. Well, epic, epic <laughs> episode. Yeah. I think, well, I, I knew we were, we, we had a lot to say. You know, it was, I think text messages and emails were exchanged to say there's going to be a lot to say. And boy, did we say it. Like, we probably changed the world's opinion on Death Becomes Her and perhaps made the world appreciate that worst Prada yep. a little bit more. I hope so. Uh, Christina, before we head out, you've been a wonderful, patient, interesting, intelligent guest. Thank you for having me. All things that we, Patrick and I, are not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, none of that. (laughs) Um, Is there anything you'd like to plug or promote? Um, I'm not sure when Simply Halston will air on Netflix, but that is a show that I worked on that I'm very excited for people to see. Ewan McGregor is playing Halston, so just dream about that for a little bit. Mm Um, and I guess, I don't know, everyone keep staying angry, keep voting in your local elections. Uh, let's, you know, try to preserve democracy and, uh, keep lunatics out of the White House. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to like (laughs) plug, like how to make plugs in this like Mm -hmm. truly horrific time we're living in, but plugging sanity, plugging sanity. It is. This is actually funny because this is like one of the first times in a while where like the episodes have finally caught up. So I think like, yeah, we're, we're, so we're actually, this isn't like one of those plugs. I was going to make a joke about how like, yeah, there's probably not going to be in America when we release this a month later or whatever. But like now Mm -hmm. we're like, yeah, so like uh, we're being, we're relevant for once. I mean, we promised we (laughs) were going to see Dune in the theater three weeks ago and that didn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. Is it out? No, no, no. No. I was going to say, I was like, man. No, it doesn't come out till like Christmas. Okay. Uh, Hopefully. We'll all hopefully have the the vaccine by then. 
and we'll yep. be able to enjoy Herbert's hunks the way the way we were meant to see them, as God uh, intended. And we're not like living in like the, the the fire state of California, like the like in the the Mad Max future. I'm not right. like, oh God. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not the court jester for General Skullfucker or whoever <laughs> decides to run <laughs> California after it's yeah, hey, America could, splits up. There could be worse jobs. Yeah, <laughs> in the in the Mad Max times. But uh, thank you again, Christina, for coming on and hanging out with us. It was an awesome time. Um, Patrick, thank you for before... having me. It was oh. a delight. Thank you. Uh, Patrick, before we head out, uh, anyone you want to thank for this oh, yeah. episode? Uh, I want to thank, um, got to thank the cast and crew of The Perfect Score. Yeah. Thank definitely. you, Erica Christensen. <laughs> thank you, Darius Miles. Thank you, Leonardo Nam. Thank you, Chris Evans. Thank you, Brian Greenberg. Thank you, Scarlett Johansson. And of course, a special thank you to uh, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. I think that's uh, the whole gang. I think that that's the, and then uh, uh, thank you to the big chunky ring. Thank you to Stanley Tucci's big chunky ring. And you know what? Uh, big chunky ring of stanley tucci it's past your bedtime go to bed you big old ring get off <laughs> yeah. that finger and go to bed go to your little your ring bed the size of a mouse's nest i sure hope that ring's not still watching it's way past their bedtime <laughs> it's way past your bedtime ring <laughs> yeah I, I i gotta give a huge shout out because i it's on my mind now i gotta give a big thank you to abba laser discs yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters. Uh, it, you know, frankly, let's give a big thank you to um, out of date viewing formats. You know, whether it's yeah. LaserDisc, whether it's Betamax, I'm thanking all of you. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I get a give, you know, big shout out to dads. Oh, big shout you know, out to dads. Big shout out to dads. Dads and grads. We're a few months <laughs> off. <laughs> Respect all fathers. Um, respect, yeah, respect. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I gotta give a thank to you. Um, you know, wearing flowing scarves while walking around Paris. Oh my god! You know, yeah. I gotta love that. I got, you know, I'm into that. And um, you know, final thank you. Well, I'm gonna give one more. You know, hasn't been said enough to potions, just generally. Generally speaking, yes. thank you to potions. And I got to give a big thank you to anyone who really, really knows the difference between subtle differences to the shade of blue. Mm-hmm. So thank you to them. Thank you to Christina once again. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our everyone who's helped out on the show. Thank you to Patrick. Oh. Hey, I don't think you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and thank you all for listening. Uh, hope to see y'all next. Hear y'all. See y'all. However you do it uh, next week for Mama Mia versus Florence Foster Jenkins. So thank you. This has been the Academy Academy. Oh, thank you so much and goodbye. Oh, back them dark and dusty drapes. Let in some light. Tell the billboy, come get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight And I've packed my bags And I've paid my bill And I'm turning in
Saint, soaking the floor. 